Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, April the 15th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and we're here with Steve Say. Hi. Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And Ms. Stephanie Cook. Hello, hello. All right. We are here to podcast. We have a great week this week because Daredevil premiered on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And Steve, Stephanie, and I, I think, all finished all 13 episodes mm-hmm. uh, of that show. And so Bob is crying here because Bob hasn't started. I don't have Netflix. <laughs> I'm waiting for the like videotape to, to come out. here, but I don't want to do it at Bob's expense. <laughs> no, 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 no. We can make as many jokes as you'd like. No, no, you're not Bobby. Oh, oh, oh. very nice. That's very nice. I I really appreciate you and all your contributions to the show, Stephanie. (laughs) Hugs and kisses. Not even Uh, two minutes. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Daredevil. We're going to do a, you know, like we normally do with movie reviews, we're going to do a nice non-spoilery general impressions of the show and then we'll also do a spoiler section where we'll talk more in depth about what happens bob has said that he doesn't care if we spoil him so uh bob is going to kind of lead our discussion uh, about daredevil since he hasn't seen it ask as if someone who hasn't seen it would ask these questions that he mm-hmm. wanted to know about it um as, an as if inquiring minds <laughs> would like to know um yeah, we got obviously we got some big books to talk about. A bunch Convergence started this week officially, so the main book and a ton of tie-ins came out. I know that some of us will be talking about some of those. Um, we're talking about Kaiju Max for our shared book of the week. Um, I definitely read it <laughs> from Oni Press. You better have since you assigned it. Um, uh, Xander Cannon uh, from Oni Press, and we have uh, some sales numbers and, and stuff to talk about as well. But um, instead of what we normally do, it end the show. Um, and then we have to pimp after down news. Uh, there was a comic book death th- yes. uh, that happened actually just down just today um, when we're recording this show. So, Bob, uh, why don't you uh, fill us in on that? Sure. Herb Trimpey, veteran Marvel artist and most famous for, I guess, about an eight-year run on the Hulk during the late 60s and early 70s past. I believe it was 75. I would have sworn he was 100 because <laughs> he he was always there when I was reading comics. And his run... With, with uh, Len Wein, Wein, Wein. Mm. I always do that wrong. Len Wein. <laughs> That's how I always said it, so I'm going to stick with that. In his tenure on the book, he was the first person to, in a regular issue, draw Wolverine mm. for one panel in 180 and then in 181. But all through that period, co-created Doc Samson, uh, the Jim Wilson supporting character, tons of great stuff with Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, he had a, a style that was cartoony and sort of, I'm going to say, Bigfoot art. Uh, for those who remember, Don Martin used to draw for Mad Magazine. It was kind of loose pencils, but tight inks by John Severin, Marie's brother, always really made it crackle. 
wonderfully emotional. The issues they did where the Hulk found peace in a subatomic world with a, a girl named Jarella, written by Harlan Ellison. And he, he did the Phantom Eagle. He, he worked at small companies, big companies, left the industry as things started to change. I don't think of his own uh, volition. Was teaching upstate somewhere, I think somewhere in Westchester. And in the 90s, when they went to all the image style and Marvel was trying to rehire artists, he tried to get a job back with a company he had worked for for a decade, and he couldn't get back in. He then completely changed up his art style and started to draw like Rob Liefeld. Drew very imagey, you know, pointed faces and all that sort of stuff, and Marvel hired him. He was the same guy with a completely different art style. I've never seen anyone manage that, mm -hmm. and... and they're fairly interesting, fantastic foreign limited stories he was doing. So he was someone, for those of us who grew up back in those periods, boy, when you picked up a Hulk issue, he was the Hulk artist. Where you, you, People might, yeah, Kirby started the book, and I love that, and I, Ditko's, Gil Kane's were great. No one was better at drawing the Hulk than Herb Trimpey. So he will be missed, and our condolences to his family. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah, and I encourage people to go out, because I know that uh, after... Uh, the news broke. I was, you know, googling some of his art, and there's a lot of people, a lot of creators, um, you know, saying words about him and posting up images. And it's 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 nice to go back and look at that that work. I mean, the, the Hulk. I feel like is one of those things where the, his interpretation of the Hulk is the one I think I, I've I've seen yes. the most. You know, it ends up I think on like a lot of t-shirts and, and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, he was a that Hulk period. He was. A child. He was written, then, whether it was Steve Englehart or, or Len, whoever was writing it, he was always this picked-on child. There's one uh, run in those stories where he, the Hulk is stomping through the Midwest and finds a bunch of hobos. The Hulk takes great pleasure at sitting around having beans, sitting around the campfire <laughs> with a bunch of hobos who accept him for just another traveler. And it's just, again, it's in the writing, but it's in the art that you could make this brutish character be affecting and emotional and sad when they silly thing he, they ran out of beans we need <laughs> we need more and it's just charming little touches like that and those were hallmark of what herb did very nice yeah. very very nice um saying on a serious note stephanie tell us about these avengers razors that you got to live tweet uh last week oh yes um so last week i was in boston as you guys may have seen from my twitter feed and my ominous messages uh, on the podcast last week. So Gillette flew me out. And um, I'll admit that I was skeptical about how cool an event this could be. <laughs> um, I, I did a panel with them a couple years ago, if you might remember, uh, for Man of Steel uh, on how Superman shaves. <laughs> uh, so silly, but it was lots of fun to do. And uh, Gillette was really into it and just had a lot of fun, you know, uh, tying it all together. I thought it was going to be something along those lines, like, how do the Avengers save? <laughs> um, and just kind of, like, applied to, you know, like, Black Widow. Ooh, her legs go. are so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Hawkeye and everyone. Um, but, so, I, I got flown down there. They brought us to this really swanky hotel. Ooh la la. And uh, they had media from all over the world. Uh, present like Asia, Brazil. Uh, there was a bunch of people from Europe and Canada. Um, and they did this big event at uh, Gillette headquarters, World Shaving headquarters. Wow. Um, and they paired up with 
Stark Industries. Yeah. That might come as, sh- as a shock to you, but uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, so we arrived on scene and Tony Stark's car and Pepper Potts were parked in the driveway. Um, I-, I was pretty certain that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be there. Like 99% sure. Uh, and uh, we all kind of gathered around for this big event going on. And uh, what they did was they unveiled a line of razors, um, Avengers razors, that, you know, have, like, special powers. Yeah, like, <laughs> the, the Captain America one uses um, his shield to, like, go back and forth from the razor dock to eliminate hair. Um, <laughs> you know, like, up to 87 times. Um, they had a Hulk one. Um, that was highly unstable. Um, of course. They had the repulsor blade, which was Iron Man's. And um, they had Thor's, which actually was super cool. And it was like, only you are worthy. Uh, so your friends won't steal your razor. And like, no one else could pick it up but you. Um, so they brought all of these prototype blades out. And then they announced that they weren't actually making like a line of these. They kind of tied into... Um, the launch of their new Flexball uh, Razor. But they did this really fun trailer. And honestly, I was so surprised. It was silly and fun, but it like really fit into, you know, the theme of the Avengers. And it, I, I watched it like six times because it was just enjoyable <laughs> and silly. Um, and they announced that they're going to be actually, they, they didn't make a complete line of these, but... Um, Gillette's giving away a bunch of them on their Twitter feed. And I believe I might be getting a set to, like, give away. Um, mm. That's what I heard. But they won't be retailing. So, you know, like, this will be, like, a set, like, one of a 100 uh, mm. Avengers sets. <laughs> so, like, really, really cool stuff. Um, Stan Lee showed up. And... Uh, <laughs> He was dressed up as a scientist and came and took some pictures and hung out. Um, I I genuinely believe he was very confused. He's like, is this all I'm here for? Is this my line? Am I just holding this? And everyone, you know, like in his Stan Lee kind of way. And everyone's like, oh, I'm like, no, he's probably really confused. It's like, am I in L.A.? No. No, you're not. Um, But it, it was a lot of fun. And uh he, he he just played along, took photos, hung out. I took selfies with him from the stage because <laughs> I'm a creeper like that. Um, uh, and we did like this big tour of the Gillette plant and did all of these other um, events. And we got this comic book at the end. Um, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell a quick story that ties this all into me being awkward. Um, so we got this comic book at the end. And it turns out that like they had did um, they had did a run through of the event and had somebody create a comic of it so that we could like have a kind of, you know, like token. And Robert Downey Jr. was supposed to be there. Like he's in the comic book. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess something must have happened because he's on his press tour and he couldn't make sure. it and they just like abducted Stanley. <laughs> Hold this, Stan. Why? He <laughs> um, could have but- shaved off his mustache right there. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little disappointed it wasn't Robert Downey Jr., but Stan Lee's pretty cool, too. 
um, the night before at dinner. And, of course, there's no one in this world that can make an Avengers Gillette event more awkward than me. Good God. So we're at our, like, tables, and everyone's kind of just divided up by their countries and all that stuff because, you know, language barriers and stuff. So I'm with, like, my group and my reps, and we're talking about, uh, you know, what's going on tomorrow. We're speculating. And um, I'm also at, like, the table with um, this woman named Shelly who runs uh, the social media for the Fan Expo shows. And uh, she's talking about Stan Lee. And I'm like, if I was running a show, I wouldn't want to bring Stan Lee to my show. And she's like, why? And everyone's, like, listening. And I'm like, because. Like, he's so old. At this point in time, it's like a death poll on which con he's going to die at. Oh, and my I was like, God. What? No, I mean, it's morbid, I know. But like, <laughs> I was, I was like, I don't want to be the show that's, like, known I don't want to be the show that's known for killing Stan Lee. Oh, I hear you. I just like it's still oh, yeah, just, cool <laughs> WonderCon, the show that killed Stan Lee. Like <laughs> you know, it doesn't have a great ring to it. Yeah. Um, so of course I'm like rambling about how he's like he's like super awesome, but it's inevitable that you know because he goes to so many shows every year. I swear he's at a new show every week. Like there's no chance he's gonna die at home peacefully in bed. Uh, and so I'm rambling about this. And, like, our reps look at each other, and I think nothing of it. And then, of course, tomorrow we get there, and the guest is Stanley. <laughs> I'm like, Steph, uh, why do you have to talk? Uh, so uh, You could have had someone introduce you to Stan and have them say, and here's the girl who wishes you dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whoopsies. <laughs> um I thought it was going to be like a real mall rats moment where he's just going to be behind you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like. How awful would that have been? <laughs> the worst. But, um, yeah, thankfully he wasn't behind me. Maybe he was, like, behind one of the, like, framed photos and he was, like, watching everyone. Um, but, yeah, it was actually a really cool event. Um, and if you get a chance, you should look up the Gillette Avengers promo commercial because it's legitimately funny and uh, – they put a lot of thought into these cool blades. And um, we also did a tour of the facility where um, they, like the concept designers, where they design the blades and um, like even the practical ones, not just the silly Avengers ones. And it's a 3D studio that has, a, you know, like a, a screen all around you. And um, you get like this controller and it's like, up against the wall, uh, just kind of a 3D image, but it also, like, he presses a button, and then all of a sudden you're in, in, like, the image. And you could, like, walk around the blade, and it was so weird and creepy. I'm like, we live in the future. It was, it was really cool. Like, you're in the simulation. Like, Tron. <laughs> in it's, my head, it's one of those old Looney Tunes cartoons where there's fleas were on the dog's back and you saw the, the hairs as giant trees and the little axes. I'm just, yep. I've got that in my head. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It was really, really cool. And uh, the guy that runs the simulations was sitting there. They He had aviator 3D glasses. And everyone's like, I want these 3D glasses. He's like, no way. He's like, don't touch those. He's like, those are custom. <laughs> like, <laughs> he had them all made up. Really cool. So... It actually, you know, it was Gillette. I thought it was going to be silly. It was a bit silly, but it was on the side of fun. And I, Blades are really cool. And uh, in the coming days, I will let everyone know if I um, 
we'll have some to give away. Hmm. The Talking Comics Podcast is brought to you by Gillette. Gillette. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can give them away on my personal Twitter, Bobby, if you want. No, I didn't mean no. that. I just meant the whole, this whole last, like, <laughs> ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Subway also sent me, like, stuff. <laughs> Woohoo! And a $10 gift card. Yeah. We'll have Jared on next week. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, fresh. So let's... Uh, <laughs> Let's move away from razors and move into some comic talk. Let's uh, great segue. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Uh, um, let's uh, let's do our lightning rounds. Uh, let's do some lightning round action here. Um, Stephanie, I'm gonna have you go first. Oh boy! Are you oh ready? Boy, for this? Oh boy! Oh boy! You have notes this week, right? Don't I always? You totally didn't just just wake up and walk and put the headphones on to do this podcast. Why would I do that? I don't know. I don't know why anyone Definitely would do that. I don't have a cup of noodles beside the computer that I'm eating for dinner because I fell asleep. Don't mm-hmm. spill them into the computer. It's no. A, it's, it's a very like accurate, detailed what you're not doing. So it's good. Yeah. You're really painting yeah. a picture. Yeah. Um, all right. You have three minutes, Stephanie. Go. All right. So I read Max Ride First Flight. Number one, uh, Marguerite Bennett and don't remember the artist i should have looked this up before i started talking about it uh but this is an adaptation from a novel i believe where um these kids have been experimented on and uh they lived in a school kind of like i I would say like morning glories but more sinister because they're being experimented on although never mind whatever anyways (laughs) uh they've been freed and they're kind of living their lives um you know, on the run and trying to kind of have some idea of what normalcy is. Uh, but they all have powers and um, they're kind of trying to cope with, you know, that. Uh, it was, wasn't was great. I thought it was an interesting adaptation, um, especially for Marvel. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I'm going to check out number two just because the premise was really cool. Uh, I didn't love it, but... It was definitely interesting enough to warrant a peek into uh, the second issue. Marguerite Bennett's been a powerhouse lately, so I really want to keep up with what she's doing. Um, I talked about Coffin Hill last week, and I'm going to talk about it this week because a new issue came out. It's so, so good. If you guys are not reading this book, you need to be. It's amazing. I can't say enough good things about Caitlin Kittridge and Anaki Miranda. They are an amazing team putting out a brilliant, brilliant horror comic. Um, Angela, Asgard's assassin, uh, some stuff finally started to come together for Angela. She's no longer um, the bad guy, per se. Uh, The whole transition was a bit confusing for me. I was like, one panel was this, and then the next panel, I was like, what? Why is this happening? Cool, cool, cool. Whatever. Okay. Okay. but I think the art's really great. I think the story is pretty solid. Uh, and I, I don't know. Like, I don't love this book. And yet I find myself still coming back to it every single time there's a new issue out. So clearly something, they're doing something right. Um, and I think that's more or less it for what I was going to talk about. Um, I think the guys have uh, things on their list that I'll chime in on. So... Yeah. All right. All right. Good job, Stephanie. That was probably your most coherent lightning <laughs> round ever. Yeah. You should just always just wake up and then start podcasting. What can I say? Cup of noodles. Cup hey. of noodles. Which hey. brand? Let, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about noodles too. Yeah. 
Um, new- Alex Sanchez is the artist on Max Ride. Thank you. There you go. Um, yes. I, I deleted it from my iPad before. Like, I, I, I shouldn't do that. I should wait. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's an adaptation. Uh, there's like a series of young adult novels by James Patterson um, that it's based on. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, Steve, are you ready? Yeah. All right. You got three minutes, sir. Go. So uh, I got to catch up with Cluster number three from Boom Studios, Ed Person, Damian Cusero, and Michael Garland. This series continues to be absolutely awesome. Uh, we got a couple of deaths in this issue, and it seems that other bounty men are starting to come into the hunt for Holly, and things are getting out of control very quickly. Um, the book took a kind of a drastic turn plot-wise that I did not see coming for several issues, the idea that they've done it now um, is just drawing me more and more into the story. It really kind of changes up the stakes. Very, very cool. Um, I got to check out The Death of Deadpool, which is also known as Deadpool 250 or 45. Um, I kind of dropped off of Deadpool for quite some time, but came back to this because I thumbed through it in the store and it looked like fun. And uh, it was nine ninety nine, but it is a hefty, hefty issue. And um, it was surprisingly really cool. I got to see how Deadpool dies. I will not spoil that for you. Um, This oddly ties into Secret Wars a little bit, which was interesting. And um, it basically is like one short story and then a series of other uh, short stories involving Deadpool's wife, which I hadn't met before and now know. Um, She's really funny and and really cool. Um, He hangs out with Kid Apocalypse. It was kind of a throwback to Uncanny X-Force. Uh, we got to see um, Ben Grimm's The Thing uh, versus a giant squid in the middle of the city. <laughs> and just lots of Michael the Necromancer gets invited to dinner. Uh, and Deadpool and actually goes and sits down his, his own roast where a bunch of Marvel characters get to make fun of him and do that whole setup. And um, it was cool. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, and my other book this week that was just absolutely bananas was The Legacy of Luther Strode from Justin Jordan, Trad Moore, and Felipe Sobrero. Oh, my God. Uh, this is the final arc in uh, Luther's story. They said they might do more stories in this world, but this is Luther's final one. If you haven't read the Luther Strode series yet, go and buy the other two volumes. They're out now. And get this book. It's a double-sized issue. Absolutely insane. Every single page was like just like an art explosion um specifically a chase sequence that goes on for like 10 pages and it's incredible i've there are things in this book that i've never even seen done on a comic book page before definitely check it out if you get the chance if i sound like ass it's because i have laryngitis <laughs> that's, that's my lightning round you got a you got a smoky like a got like a mini tom waits thing going on Sue. yeah Hey, you doing that, baby? <laughs> yeah. that, that's that is way smoother than any, anything Tom Waits has ever said. <laughs> oh, welcome to the jazz hall tonight. Welcome to the jazz. We're gonna be playing some songs for you. Yeah, exactly. Come on, the earlier Tom Waits <laughs> was a little less smoky. All I I don't know earlier Tom Waits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just know What's later Tom Waits. building in there? <laughs> <laughs> Where he sounds like he's he's swallowed gravel. He's yeah. actually gonna be one of um, Letterman's final guests uh, oh, really? for like his his send out week. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, he's um, awesome. I love Tom Waits. Uh, I want him right. and Nick Cave to do a, a dual <laughs> tour. That would be amazing. Yeah, there you go. Oh, right. God. I would, yeah. uh, you know, what, what venue holds that, though? 
Um, the townhouse, maybe. Um, the theater where Lauren and I just saw Bjork would be perfect. Something fancy, something upscale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds at Town Hall not too long ago, and it was phenomenal. I talked about it on the show. Like Nick Cave is like one of the last living rock gods. If him and Tom Waits did a double headliner tour, I I would die. It would be amazing. We don't want you to die. No. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, I still have work to do. <laughs> All right. Bob, you ready? <coughs> Let me cough a few times. All right. I got three minutes on the clock for you. And go. Okay. Starting with Convergence number one, which is, for me, more clear than the zero issue. And there was one moment I really enjoyed because it involves something I've loathed. But Convergence now seems to be, have become a series of battling heroes. And as... Taylor says there is no room for common cause among you, so cooperation won't be tolerated. So the grimness of this issue kind of permeated the could-have-been-fun JLA crossover, which I scanned through and put back on the shelf. Even the art looked pretty good, but the story didn't strike me. As well as the Batgirl issue, it featured this telling line from Stephanie, sometimes I miss being young and silly. That isn't to say these under-the-dome stories that will lead up to these battles. And the second issues are without merit, as the Steve Pugh-written Harley Quinn was some really nice stuff in it. Darren Jurgen's Superman was pretty good. Greg Rucka's question story is just excellent, as you can imagine. Now, how the human interest stories in these first issues stand up to the superhero warfare remains to be seen. I am still hopeful, but less so than I was after, or rather before these tie-ins started. Speaking of events, the Black Vortex has come to Captain Marvel in issue 14, as would be expected. You know, there are some great insights into Carol's psyche and how she's spent her year in space and what's going on there and the nature of her heroism is certainly pointed out in the struggle she has with this MacGuffin object. Uh, The overarching story, as I'm not reading this event, it's just another interruption I could have frankly done without because I could use as much Captain Marvel as I wanted to and never seemed to get enough of. Shield number four by Mark Wade and Chris Sprouse is a really great star turn by Sue Richards. For all you FF fans out there looking for a fix, uh, just really, really nice, really nice. Uh, Storm continued to hit the mark with this latest issue 10, which is the next to last issue, which answers some long-running questions and puts another mystery on the table. Two second issues were fabulous. Howard the Duck by Zdarsky and Quinones brought Howard and Rocket together, uh, showing Howard's humanity in the face of some really crazy goings-on. And Spider-Woman 6, Dennis Hopeless, Javier Rodriguez, show us a Jessica Drew who is, you know, she uses her intelligence and abilities in a detective setting about blackmail superheroes, uh, supervillain families, and so on and so forth. So that book, we'll, we'll be talking soon about sales figures, <laughs> that really exploded. So very good on that. So that's it for me, except Mask number two, Masks 2 number one came out this week. And <laughs> if you're a fan of the original series, just pick this up right away. It's Cullen Bunn doing just amazing work with these all-time heroes. The shadow is really scary in that one. Cool. <gasps> you still did it, Bob. Took 28 seconds yes. left. I don't Jesus. get it. I only did like 13 books. Yeah, I know. I don't get it either, Steve. So you're not so alone. Who I wants to like, talk about stuff here? I feel like the <laughs> clock stretches for Bob. <laughs> like it holds its breath before ticking over. It's his superpower. Seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Bob, to, to just talk on one of the books that you had mentioned, mm-hmm. um, I was going to put it on my list and saw it on yours, was Shield number four. Oh, that issue was incredibly good. Um, you get to see Sue Storm, basically Coulson calls her in and asks her to do a covert mission because he needs somebody who can, you know, not be detected when going into the compound. But it was such an awesome, awesome display of all of her powers, like at the point where she's at. And the artwork was just spectacular. 
Yeah. And Mark Wade is he him writing Coulson as bringing in all of these heroes to do specific, you know, things for certain jobs. Spider Man needing his spider sense to go through the building to sense for people. Uh, Sue Storm going in underneath underneath the radar. Just a really clever way of somebody who loves heroes writing a book about somebody who loves heroes and bringing them into these missions. I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah I think Coulson is actually uh, Mark Wade's avatar. Oh yeah, <laughs> in essence, in in that way, he wonderful callback. I know I've talked about these issues before. Actually, one rather long rambling discourse when we were talking about what I would want to see in a Fantastic Four movie when he talks to her about her father. Yeah. Uh, because that's FF thirty one thirty two, where he's been ki- he saves Sue from dying because she's hurt fighting the mole man, and he gets kidnapped by the Skrulls and gets a bomb implanted in his chest, and ends up sent back here to kill them. Mm-hmm. So that's why that really means something there. That mm-hmm. was just that's real deep. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way Mark Wade works. Mm-hmm. The way he rolls. <laughs> so good though. Um. Yeah, Bob, you mentioned Convergence. I read uh, a bunch. I read the main book, and I read like about ten of the tie-ins. I think about, mm-hmm. um, and you know, for me, I just uh, the book underwhelmed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't like severely dislike it, and there were moments in it that I did, I did enjoy. Like I, uh, I, I come to really like uh, in the Tom Taylor side of the Earth Two run those characters quite a bit, and so them showing up in the Convergence number one, I really liked that, and yeah. I liked the way they interacted with each other. I liked that sense. I like. I like the mystery around them, which is that in this Convergence world, right, there are all these cities and they all come from worlds right before the worlds were eradicated. The Earth 2 people didn't get a, didn't get a city taken away before the world was eradicated, so they just, it's just them in, in this world, and they're not supposed to be there. So they seem like the wild card. They seem like they're going to be the main thrust of, the, of this, uh, uh, of this yeah. main book. Um, and I like that idea. I just It took a little long to get to where it did at the end, um, and then it, I think it was more of an issue for me because I read so many of the tie-ins. Th- there's this one speech that the, the villain has that is pretty much in every single yeah, one of the tie-ins. Awful. And I understand like a lot of people aren't reading all the yeah. tie-ins. I totally get that. So I know it's probably um, exasperated because I read so many of them. But even the ones I enjoyed um, all kind of did this speech, and it took up like usually a page to two pages of time. And you know, by the time I got to like the ninth or you know eighth or ninth one, I was like, okay, I'm just. I would just tune out. I would just kind of turn the page when I saw it, you know? Um, so that was disappointing to me. But uh, like you said, there were some really good ones. You're going to talk about one for your book of the week, mm-hmm. obviously, but I loved the question. Um, I love that version of the character. Uh, and I, 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 Rucka and Hamner did a really great job bringing her back. A really great job on Two-Face. Absolutely. Um, I, I, it was, it was really fun to have that character uh, there. Um, I, I read Speed Force and I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was okay, not great. Superman, there's the art is wonderful. There's some clunkiness there. Um, there's definitely merit in some of them. It just felt like uh, they mm-hmm. all amounted to basically one city versus another city. Sometimes there was a battle, sometimes there wasn't. But it all seems like a little too samey across the board for all of them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm still going to pick up some of the ones mm-hmm. that are coming, and I, I, I'm still going to pick up at least another issue of the main series. Um, it's odd to me for an event, though, unless we criticize events like and how they have no lasting effect, at least usually when they're going on, they feel very big and very important. And here, because the New 52 world, which is our normal world, isn't a part of this, it feels also ran to me in mm-hmm. some ways. You know, it feels separate. It feels not 
uh, I don't know how it reflects on the other world if it reflects at all. So because of that, it just like it, it, I don't know. It didn't. It felt more like a mini series that would be going on in conjunction with main books, sure. not necessarily as as a, as a whole uh, series. It could have time to grow. It could get better. But for me, underwhelming. I think would be the mm-hmm. word I would use. Um, Stephanie, did you read Batgirl by any chance? Not yet. I okay. meant to, and then okay. I was like, it, it, I was. Planning to do it like you do, where you save your favorite things for last, or the mm-hmm. things you're most excited for. But unfortunately, um, <laughs> I was on an airplane, mm-hmm. and uh, we landed before I could get to that stuff. So mm-hmm. I planned poorly. That's it. You you should read it just to have a fix of Stephanie, but it mm-hmm. it could have been so much better. Yeah, uh, that's what yeah. I was afraid yeah. of. I was actually yeah. hoping that you would read it because I wanted to hear you rage. <laughs> I'm, Steve, I'm, I'm trying my best to be more positive. Mm. Uh, I, I I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best <laughs> to be a little more positive. Mm. But let me tell you, if they mess with Steph Brown, I will end them. <laughs> that was awesome. It's it's nothing like I I don't think the depiction is like offensively bad or anything like that. It's just no. that the book is very middle of the road, and I, I feel like they don't do a lot with her character no. in, in the story, or with or with Cass Kane or with Tim Drake. They, they, they kind of, yeah. it, it feels like they're, like, Stephanie is definitely the one that's the most focused on, mm. but the other two feel like they're just, I don't even know why they're there at some point. During, Which is during disappointing, the, because, yeah. like, Cass Kane uh, is equally important to a lot of people, like the way Steph Brown is to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. Nikki, um, like she loves Cass Kane, and I can't even imagine how devastated she was or <laughs> is that this book, um, you know, didn't really showcase those characters based on what you're saying. Yeah, we so, talked about it on Comics and Coffee this week. She had read it, and she, you know, she was disappointed in it. Definitely. By the way, Nikki, congrats on your job at the Silver Snail. Oh yeah, congrats, Nikki. You're <laughs> a real life Valkyrie now. <laughs> um, and I. And I was very disappointed in the Tim Drake representation because I was really looking forward to yeah. that, and it just didn't yeah. didn't hit hard for me. Uh, Steve, did you get a chance to read a bunch of these converge the main book and the tie-in stuff? Yeah, I read I read Convergence number one. I think I read Batgirl, The Question, and I have my pile over here. One of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, the uh, Oracle and um, Nightwing. But that's that's actually going to be we're going to be talking about that later. Yeah. Um, I'm really. It's funny because I. I, I I did this I do this thing all the time where I read it myself and I'm really lukewarm on the whole thing. Like I don't know I don't know how much it matters to me to to be a part of it. Like I'm I'm de- like curiosity is winning out. Um but I haven't really cared very much for what I've read so far. The the convergence event itself feels like a like a Hunger Games to me, like something just kind of thrown together while they're making this switch to in, to induct these other books into their main line and stuff like that. But um, I find it, I found it to be very confusing and uh, not having an anchor to really any of the worlds that I was being introduced to felt like made me feel kind of lost, even though I had read the main book and knew what the overall premise was. I felt like the other tie-ins or other convergence event books didn't really do enough to tell you what was happening that if you just pick those up without having read convergence i don't know how much of a, a, a how comfortable you would feel reading those books yeah but i'd say that if you're going to read a tie-in book and you're not reading the main book yeah. it's going to be tough i think in, in those cases yeah. especially with something that's so 
different than the you know the main, it's not like it's an event happening in the main continuity yeah. with some you know with some tie-ins which you could you could probably get away with it right but right um something like this it's, it's like much like flashpoint which is like it changes everything for a couple of months yeah. so if you just picked up like flashpoint batman you'd be like why the hell is thomas wayne batman yeah. why superman's yeah. guinea and you know all, the, all this stuff so i, I yeah I, I mean i agree with you i think that the books are very much relying on you having yeah. read uh i mean emergence. I um I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No 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 I was done. Go ahead. Um I don't want to. I mean I'm not gonna talk about it too much because I don't want to. Steph hasn't read it yet, but um or if she wants to la 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 me for the next couple of seconds, she can. <laughs> um it's just like the Batgirl book actually kind of bothered me because I felt the depiction of Steph Brown like that is not she wasn't it not exactly whiny, but I felt like she was really not herself, and mm-hmm. to to know that it's only like a two parter. To do that kind of turn, like she's really down on herself, pretty much throughout that whole book, mm-hmm. and then you know things kind of change a little bit towards the end. But for for the majority of that book, the narrative was just her kind of harping on her abilities, and she was very down on herself. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like this is mm-hmm. not this is not the Steph Brown that I remember. And the idea that they only have, I guess, maybe the convergence paint event, maybe she'll show up in that as well. But there's only one more issue to kind of perk her back up and wrap that that angle of her character up. I don't think is might not be enough time to really make that that plot point sing for me. Mm-hmm. Like I like that character a lot, and to see her being kind of depressed and sad and down on herself, like that just not that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me. Um, With, without spoiling a book I'm going to talk about later, there is some of that in Nightwing, mm-hmm. Oracle, that manages to turn itself around within yeah. the issue itself. Mm-hmm. That one I liked. Yeah. I, liked the, yeah. I liked the question, too. I, I should mm-hmm. mention that. Yes. I really enjoyed the question. I thought that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Now, what I found interesting for myself is that going into multiversity, what I hoped for was Grant Morrison going deep into his brain and showing us world upon world of crazy stuff going on, just one at a time. And it would be a nice little nostalgia trip. And he gave us something else that was so much better than that. And yet that element is still there. Mm-hmm. It was a great juggling act. Mm-hmm. And this, which I was hoping for something similar, gave me something different. But it's something different I'm not enjoying mm-hmm. as much. It, it doesn't seem to be, you were talking about maybe just thrown together, Steve, that it almost seems a little rushed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe that's a factor of the move. Maybe, maybe. I mean, yeah. they're really good people involved here yeah. across the board. Yes. And it, there are great moments. There's just not enough of them. So maybe as we build through this, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, you know, it's tough to tell. You know, I always, I always think it's weird, right? Because when we often with Marvel events, right, the first issue is like fantastic, and then by the time we get the middle of it, we're, we're, we we start to feel weary. I'm I'm hoping that this is the opposite, right? That yeah. it starts weak and then it gets stronger. But we'll we'll, we'll have to see. These, these events tend to do that. Yeah, over they the do. years, yeah, yeah they absolutely. end with a bang. Yeah, um, I will say something positive about book you talked about though, uh, Spider Woman. Uh, loved it absolutely. Yeah. It, it's one of my favorite books of the week. So it, it was just great. I loved, I I, I loved this idea of uh, this like porcupine villain yeah. guy and like, you know, it, it's it, in Daredevil. They did it in Superior Foes as well. They take these characters that are not so big, um, and they emphasize them in a way <laughs> because. Spider-Woman doesn't have this big rogues gallery, right? She doesn't have no. this big group of people to call from that are not Avengers-based ba- bad guys. So you get to you have to go for other ones. You have to go deeper into like the coffers. No. And I love the way they use that. I loved, I loved how she's you know this whole issue really. She's just using her brain the entire issue. There's not really action in this no. issue um, for, on her side. And I, I'm 
I'm looking forward to seeing how that all like works yeah. out. But I love that it was funny. I loved the art. I'm really yeah. excited to see. Love the scene where she goes to the chicken restaurant with Senor Suerte, who yes. is from the old <laughs> a Hero for Hire. Yeah. Yes. I could just beat you up. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was great. It was really, really great. Um, and I like this blackmail subplot thing they're doing. I, I yeah. think it's going to be cool. Uh, all right. So let's go into my lightning round. Um, all right. And go. All right. So Saga number 27. Uh, very, very good issue. Uh, the ending set this on a course that we I don't think we've ever really been on before and marks a pretty big character change uh, for one of our main characters. So uh, some uh, crazy shit might be going down pretty soon. Hmm. Um, uh, Rack Queens, uh, number 10, Curtis Weave, uh, Stepan Sejic. Uh, this was a very action-packed issue, really, I think, bringing to a close uh, arc that's been going on for a while now. Um, obviously, there was that big gap in the middle between when issues came out. Um, but really cool, uh, really, uh, really great looking. I, I really love his art. Um, you know, it's weird not to have rock on the book. Um, but, uh, Cedric is doing a great job replacing him. Uh, you know, the usual crassness with the usual fantasy elements, some big, huge things, more Cthulhu like stuff as well. Ooh. And really, really, really great. Um, Descender number two, uh, Jeff Lemire, Dustin Wynn, uh, well, it was the first issue we were dealing with this big overall thing that was happening, and then we we scrunched down to this one AI that had just woken up after being asleep. I think it was like five years. Uh, we were all with that robot in, in this, um, and we get to see um, his memories of his his family, um, of, of you know who he was assigned to, how he grew to love them, how they grew to love him, all while he's being chased through this mining colony by these bounty hunters. Um, and it's very emotional, uh, very action-packed, very fun. You get to see him use kind of his abilities in a way he doesn't realize that they're there. And the ending leaves you wondering kind of really what's going to happen um, going forward as far as um, what this, what's the fate of this character? Are we going to move away from this character? Are we going to revisit the kind of bigger global implications or are we going to stay on the small end and, and just deal with this 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 one robot? But either way, it's it's a great, great start to, to, to the series. Um, uh, Howard the Duck I loved as well. Yeah. I, I laughed several times. There was some... What I loved about it was there was a few moments that were just... They were made funny by a look, you know, from either Howard or, or, or Rocket. Oh. I love that he kept calling him um, a, a midget werewolf yes. or whatever. I yeah. thought that was hilarious. Uh, I love that. Um so I thought that was great. And I also, uh, I finally, I had missed issue 39 of both Batgirl and Supergirl. I just had not picked them up when they came out. So I finally got them this past weekend and read 39 and 40 of both of them. Um, well, that Secret Origin stuff really ties in a lot to yes, what happens yeah. to Batgirl. I didn't even realize how much it tied in. Uh, that was a great a great cap to that, this first arc or whatever of, of their time on the book. Uh, really looking forward to see what, what comes next. And Supergirl, I'm really sad to see that that you know it's over for now. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's happening after Convergence. But um, yeah, um, Emmanuel Lupicino, uh, Mike Johnson, and I cannot remember the other writer's name, uh, just did a fantastic job with the character. It's big and fun and cosmic, and I just really, really loved it. Uh, was really cool to see uh, Superboy and Supergirl. You know, Captain. Captain Comet, uh, oh, nice. was just Comet. Now they've they cut the, cap the captain out, uh, doing stuff together. And this superhero school was really neat. Uh, you know, I, I really recommend, I think it started with like 35, I yeah. think was the, the issue. 35 to, to 40, uh, great, great five issues of Supergirl for anyone who wants a really cool story with, with, with that character. 
So yeah, sad to see it go, but really fun way to end it. So yeah. Hey, did anyone see the picture of the Supergirl costume sort of in action on the set? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I did see that. Yeah, looks a lot more colorful when it does. it's sort of out there. I'm, yeah, you know, mm, I it, it looks like she's got a smile and it's going to be fun, mm. and that's what I want out of that. Yeah. Look, I mean, I love the flash and if it's if it's in that same kind of tone i'm gonna it's gonna be fantastic yeah they're, they're asking would there be crossovers and i think cbs is thinking no it's on another network well no but cbs is part owner of cw oh cbs is owned by that. cbs and warner brothers cw yeah, i know say now i learned something <laughs> they say you can't learn anything from comics <laughs> so it could absolutely happen and they've talked about it possibly happening um but yeah that's that's my lightning round uh bob we have some uh sales numbers Boy, do we have sales numbers. <laughs> it was a big march, needless to say, and you don't have to worry about the odds of it. Um, the top 300 comics sold 25.17 million, which is up 10% from the same month of previous year. So maybe it's starting to pick back up again. We had some down months. Uh, it's up 18% versus the same month five years ago, up 32% from the same month 10 years ago, up 64% from the same month 16 years earlier, 15 years earlier. So now, mm. now for the month, you have Marvel did, where's that number? <laughs> 38% of the overall dollars, DC 23, Image 11, the rest all IDW 6.5, Dark Horse 3.5, Boom 2.5, basically Dynamite 2.5. I made a prediction that hasn't come true yet, but I had said somewhere soon we were going to see the market split 50-50. Well, now we're looking at it 60-40 mm. when it was 70-30. So all this is starting, maybe, you know, they're listening to us. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, number one book, anyone want to guess? Uh, you looked at it. I did look at cheat. it. I, I, <laughs> how, about, how about our two compadres? I've got here? no idea, think? honestly. Stephanie, you want to guess what the number one book of the month was? No. 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 <laughs> Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Two, 253,000 copies. Oh, wait. Was that... No, that wasn't part of the loot crate, right? No, 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 no just a oh. straight out 250,000 copies. That's awesome. Which is, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, Star Wars number two at 161. Uh, Guardians team up number one at 155. Spider Gwen number two, 107,000 copies. Princess Leia number two, 96,000. So if this was a movie, that's a hell of a drop off. But if, if it hovers in the 80 or 90 mm-hmm. range, that's just fabulous. Amazing Spider-Man 16 at 92. Howard the Duck, number one, 85. Darth Vader, number three, still holding it at 85,000. Batman Arkham Knight, number one. It is number one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 73,000. And Amazing Spider-Man 16.1, this sort of fill-in issue. Wow. Batman Arkham Knight sold 73,000 copies? Yep. That is crazy. Whoa. That is crazy. No, is it just a one-shot? No, or it's, a, it's a, a video game tie-in. Oh. The, the new Arkham game is coming out in a, in a few months. Uh, it's um, written by uh, Peter Tomasi. Yeah, it's by Peter Tomasi, oh. yeah. yeah. But, I mean, they've done tie-ins for all of those, and none of them have sold I, this much. I wonder if that, if any of that is like the speculator market in, in terms of like the Injustice books. And Possibly. How, I think you hit or, it, yeah. yeah. Or the fact that Injustice turned out to be really good and people yeah. decided to jump on this as well. Yeah, it's very possible. That's awesome yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh, moving down a little bit, number 11 was Thor, number 6, 70,000. Silk, number 2, 69,000. All right. 
The Walking Dead, number 139. No surprise, 67,000 copies. Harley Quinn continues to percolate at 66,000. Walking Dead, 138. So it went up but it's, it went from 66,778 to 67,349. 600 extra people discovered The Walking Dead for no reason. All new Hawkeye, 66,000. Oh, right. uh, number 16. Descender number one at 61 for image. Wow, that's that's, very that's good. a great number. Yeah. Uh, Guardians, 25, 61,000. All new X Men, 39,58. And number 20, Detective Comics number 40 at 56,000. Hmm. Saga, 26. Still there. Yeah. And number 21, 54,000 copies. Mm-hmm. Lots of Batman Eternals. Yes. Four of them in a row, basically. <laughs> still it's still selling 40s. Drifting downwards as we go, but yeah. hundreds at a time. That's yeah. very, very impressive. It's, it's, it's over now, so it's... Yeah. It, but it's, it must have been a huge success for them. I mean... Oh, uh, it, four times a month times... Yeah, yeah. What is it? Even if it's only $3? Yeah. Actually, while we're talking about it, all the convergence tie-ins are $4? Yes, it's yeah. very, very true. Mm. <laughs> Made a very expensive week and will make it an expensive event. Um, number 27, Multiversity Comics Ultra Comics, mm-hmm. 48,000 copies. That's not bad. That's pretty darn good for something <laughs> so crazy as that. Uh, you mentioned Batgirl number 40, 41,000, so the relaunch of that is still holding in very well. Grayson right behind it, 40,000. Yeah, Grayson doing very well. Yeah. Uh, we've got lots of Guardian stuff, lots of Avengers. Spider-Woman. Uh, is number five, 40,000. So not bad, considering mm. where yeah. it was and mm-hmm. what they have to overcome. Guardians team up, Flash, blah, blah, blah. Ms. Marvel still at 32,000. Amazingly, trailing Fantastic Four, which has to get canceled. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all about the digital numbers on that, and we don't, we don't e- really know some of what's going on. Yeah. Um, Squirrel Girl, unfortunately, down to 26,000. So I think that sadly that's that's got problems. Um, Gotham Academy holding it at twenty. We've got a book that I've been loving, but it's at one ninety five. Lady Killer at ninety five hundred, <laughs> <laughs> which you know it's not good. Yeah, but, but you yeah. know the book is good, so that's all that counts. Mm-hmm. And I'm in with you know number two eighty eight Star Trek New Visions by John Byrne at five thousand copies. <laughs> Um, we have more people listen to this show than about that yes, comic yeah. book. So. <laughs> and it's despite me yakking about it all the time. Yeah. Uh, again, it's it's about digital numbers, so it's hard to say, but things like Sensation Comics itself, 11,000 might still be a success, oh, as yeah, with they, Injustice they and everything else. They definitely are. Yeah, definitely, yes. Now, we had that uh, story that came out, was it early last week, about uh, the Comixology sale. You have the yeah. exact details yes. more than I would. So. Yeah, so Comixology did a buy one, get one free, a March buy one, get one free sale. And on their Tumblr, they actually posted actual sales numbers for the entire length of the sale, um, what sold what. And and so the charts for that, that month of, of, of March, um, for them, for the entire month of March, Silk number one was the number one book. Um, obviously, no exact numbers here, yeah. but Silk number one, uh, Star Wars number two, Darth Vader number one, Star Wars number one, then Ms. Marvel number 12, 11, and 10 are five, six, and seven. Thor number five is number eight. Uh, Ms. Marvel number nine is number nine, and Thor number four is number 10. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, seven of the 10 are female led books. So, our kind of assumptions that that market and the digital market opens up to people who wouldn't normally walk into a comic book store i think proved true born uh, out right there um mic drop yes i mean <laughs> obviously i think that we would love to see i mean regardless of what they are i would love to see the actual numbers like i, yes. I, I want to know how much they're selling i know they're probably 
scared to from either one of two reasons. They're not selling as much as they want people to think they are, or they're selling so much more that they don't want stores to feel like they're getting shafted or something like that. So, so well, I, yeah. I don't know, but... Um, I would love to see what the, the the numbers are. Yeah, we all hear it, they're historic. Well, what does historic mean exactly? Yeah. Is that 30,000 copies, 50,000 copies yeah. digitally, or is it nine? Yeah. Which is still not bad. No. But really we've heard you know, anecdotal evidence that they sell more digitally than they sell physically. Yeah, that's got to be true. I would say it's got to be true. Because, I mean, Ms. Marvel sells okay, but not great. Right, and um, still being published. Yes. And was it Axel Alonso who was saying, look, we don't publish Critical Darlings. We publish books that make money yeah so which is why all the books i like keep getting canceled <laughs> bob loves critical darlings hates <laughs> books that make money <laughs> i like independent movies too yeah, it's yeah, just true. i could fight about that we'll go on we'll go on that rant some other time what happened to indie films though they're making more rats too they are making more with everyone coming back everyone's coming back even stan it's true if, if he doesn't die on the set right yeah, yeah. Stan? <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Shh. don't jinx it bob so. I can't. I got to meet Stan one more time. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Stephanie, your BOTW, your book of the week. <laughs> what do you was, got for us? That was slang, Bobby. Yes, it's true. Crazy talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what is my book of the week? What is it? What is a book of the week, Bobby? Are you just really? because you don't have a book of the week? <laughs> no, I totally do. Um, She's vamping. And, yeah. and this is a book I've talked about a couple times already, I think. Um, but Wolf Moon number five. I am really enjoying this series from Cullen Bunn and Jeremy Hahn. It's a mini series. There's only six issues um, coming from Vertigo. Uh, and it is just fantastic. It's what, like, Wolf Moon does for werewolves, what American Vampire did for vampires, in which it makes them scary again. It makes them into creatures of the dark that you don't want to run into. Um, you know, American Vampire came on the heels of Twilight and all of these kind of um, YA fluff um, movies and books romanticizing um, the supernatural and you know like Raphael Albuquerque's art just makes them terrifying and Jeremy Hahn really does that again with werewolves you know I, I don't think that they were as um, you know overexposed kind of yeah. like puppied down as where or as vampires were uh, but they this makes them even scarier. I think I mentioned it again a couple times previously, but the story of evol- evolves, evolves, revolves. I just woke up <laughs> around a man who has been affected by werewolves in his lives, in his life. <laughs> Words are so hard. <laughs> okay, we're just gonna <sighs> okay. Deep breath. So there you go. his life has been really affected by a werewolf specifically just one because there is just one werewolves don't become like people don't become werewolves if they get scratched or bitten they are a host and this werewolf curse goes from person to person it can be anyone or anything and when the wolf moon comes they change um there's not really any way to contain it because it comes really suddenly 
And people, since they're not, you know, changing into a werewolf every month, they don't know. Uh, and they wind up killing a lot of people. It's really gruesome and um, really gory and really scary. Uh, so this one guy, he has been affected by the wolf in which he was a host. So he kind of feels violated, you know, like something took over his body and made him do really horrible things. And now all he wants to do is be rid of this curse. But the only way to kill the wolf is to kill, you know, an innocent person mm -hmm. who's been transformed. And he has a lot of problems coming to terms with that because, you know, the these people are like him. They didn't sure. ask for this curse. They didn't, you know, wander into the woods late at night and get scratched. They are completely randomly being chosen to be the host and not having any say in how it goes down. Um, so in order to stop this wolf, he needs to shoot it. And he really just, like, he wishes there was another way. Um, his girlfriend has also been affected by the wolf. Um, you find out really the extent of, you know, what went down with her. And it's kind of really heartbreaking. You find out in this issue number five. Um, and I just really felt for her. Uh, but it's brought them together. And they're trying to put an end to all of this. Uh, but sadly, they're not the only ones. And a lot of these people don't have um, the same sort of hang-ups about an innocent person being behind... Uh, these killings uh, and we find out who the next host of um, the wolf will be in this issue and uh, you know it, it would cause pretty much everyone to um, you know have some second thoughts I guess uh, so it, it's this story about what would you do to stop something you know this awful uh, and I really, really enjoy it. Cullen Bunn has just been, you know, really on my radar lately. I mean, he did Fearless Defenders, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I'm trying to think. I know he did a Sixth Gun, but I haven't read that. Um, and he's doing a few other things, but he's just really, really great. And uh, this book is an excellent miniseries. Um, I'm really into horror right now, again, as by like Coffin Hill and um, this, but... If you aren't reading Wolf Moon, you should be. It's definitely worth your time. Even if you don't like horror or like the werewolf genre, it is a bit gory at times. But um, I don't know. I think the story makes up for it because it's all, you know, it, it's not gratuitous. It's kind of just going along with what's happening, the circumstances. And it's making you realize just like how violent and visceral the wolf is so yeah that is my recommendation to you guys oh, cool he also did uh the empty man stephanie oh i haven't finished that yet but i've really really enjoyed that series yeah vanessa del rey's art is just like ugh, so bad <laughs> yeah it's true so what you're describing in his reluctance or and anxieties over his transformations or whatever that's been lost in werewolf movies over the last 20, 30 years as things have gotten, oh, what can we do with the effects and how can we make these sort of things happen? But that harkens right back to Lon Chaney Jr., mm. where mm. he was so 
horrified about what it was he's doing. Once he realized he could see, he could see the pentagram in the palm of his next victim. And now he sees this this girl from the shop in the town he and his father sort of own, and it sort of throws him into a panic. And each movie after that was, how do I stop being the Wolfman? Mm-hmm. And it was very poignant, and it kept it carried that whole Universal Forty series through. And that's been mostly missing. There's a little bit of that in American Werewolf, but mm-hmm. it's played for such laughs that it, it goes away. You know, stop it, Jack. You look like a meatloaf. <laughs> you know, it, it takes the the, mm-hmm. the horror away from itself. But this sounds really good. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, to me, a really excellent werewolf story. And obviously it changes um, the lore a little bit in which there's only one wolf as opposed to many. Uh, but I think that's a really cool spin on it and a way to... Um, take something that's really, really oversaturated in the media and make it your own. It's not a canon werewolf story, then, Stephanie. It's not <laughs> part of the lore. Whatever, Bobby. I'm joking. Yeah, <laughs> Werewolves well, aren't we're, real, so it's okay. Well, if you up their... depends. <laughs> depends. <laughs> depends. I've seen from. some very hairy people. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you see? I know you you love Ginger Snaps. We all do. I do. Uh, mm-hmm. Blood and Chocolate. Yeah, I read that book ages ago too. Yeah. Uh, I don't really remember. I, I remember liking the book more than I liked the movie, um, but I, I hmm, I don't remember much about the movie actually. It's it's an interesting vibe. It's very sort of European film. It's old. Th- I'm sure they shot it in Prague or mm-hmm. you know one of those old, really old cities, and you get a lot of old-fashioned looking buildings and settings, and it gives you an atmosphere. Even though it's a very modern film, it's mm-hmm. very nicely done. So now it's we're doing talking movies. Brotherhood, Brotherhood of the, the Wolf. Wolf. Yes, that, that was great. Oh my god, that movie <laughs> yeah. is amazing. I've been it was on Blu-ray very, very, very briefly, and I had been trying to hunt down a copy forever, and just wound up getting the DVD because, like, oh my god, and Monica Bellucci in that is so good. Yeah, her costumes really cool and yeah, actually yeah. the costumes for everyone, if for no other reason, like you should watch that movie but then there's like 10,000 other reasons that you should watch that movie so just watch that movie if you haven't seen it yes really cool. absolutely remember we had that in 112 because we got it from France we actually mm. had it the PAL version to. yeah but we had it mm. fixed <laughs> we did stuff like that we I don't work there it. anymore so I can say anything I want we no. had it fixed. and Bob for MPAA the record MPAA be damned uh, hmm? Blood and Chocolate was filmed in Romania oh ah, mm-hmm. the home of such things yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was I, I enjoyed that one quite a bit Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers <gasps> is awesome. That I haven't seen that. Freaking oh, great. Neil Marshall did yeah, The Descent. Yeah. Freaking awesome movie. <laughs> I really want to go watch Brotherhood of the Wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go home and watch Titanic, actually, because that's what today is. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. And it goes down to 2 o'clock this morning. Oh. Um, Whatever that's I think I've talked about this on the show before. I, at one point, I was like obsessed with that. Because that movie came out, and I was like really interested, and I read like the night to remember the book, and yeah. then I watched the movie, and then I watched at least like documentaries about it. Um, anyway, I was uh, weirdly obsessed with all that stuff growing up, like even before the movie. And I was so excited when I found out that a survivor uh, from the Titanic lived in like my town. Oh, I wanted oh, to like what? go hunt them down and find like talk to them and be like, tell me everything. Tell me about this. It's probably the worst day of your life. <laughs> yeah, tell me about the horror. <laughs> You've never of told anyone before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but good times. Absolutely. Yeah. Steve. Bobby. Lay lay this uh Avengers Rage of Ultron on me. All right. I'm going to I'm going to keep this brief 
because this book... I'll believe it when I hear it. Uh, well, <laughs> one, my voice, and two, this is a uh, spoilerific book. Uh, I should probably preface this with, um, there's a rumor going around, and by rumor, I mean Rob Neumeier, uh, <laughs> who has basically informed me uh, that this book, it's called Avengers Rage of Ultron. Uh, it's by Rick Remender with art by Jerome Opeña, uh, Pepe, uh, Pepe Loraz, and Mark Morales. And this could be post-Secret Wars material and part of continuity. So if that turns out to be true, it's very—it's a very interesting read uh, with that in the back of your mind. Basically, uh, Rage of Ultron, as one would guess, is an Ultron story. You can never keep a good Ultron down, and he is back, and he is back with a vengeance. Uh, the book throws you in right from the start— with an older Avengers team, uh, presumably whoever's left uh, at the end of Secret Wars, and just throws you right in the middle of a huge, huge, huge battle, and a lot of questions about morality and what do we do when you have something like Ultron and you have other like AI personalities roaming around in the world, i.e. the Vision. Um, Basically, Hank Pym, giant man, invents a... I mean, he feels responsible for all of this stuff because he was the one who created Ultron and then Ultron created the Vision. So there's this father-son, this like strange father-son triangle going on. It's very affecting, and it's it kind of echoes throughout the book. Um, both there's um, actually two timelines in this. It's um, old Avengers and then jumps ahead to um, like the now Avengers. And throughout the whole book, you're... <coughs> Like learning about this struggle between Hank and he develops a device that can basically take out uh, all of AI and he's he's willing to use it and he says this in front of the vision and the vision asks him like you know if you're willing to do this then then what am I am I a man or am I a machine and it just creates this disturbance throughout the entire team and everybody kind of weighs in on where they are um, in terms of what life, um, like actual life, not artificial life means to them and means to the future. Um, as far as artwork goes, I mean, if, if any of you guys have seen, uh, Jerome's work on like the Avengers books and stuff like that, some of the infinity books, this is, this, this book is just like a tour de force of, of artwork. The coloring work is absolutely mind blowing. Um, like I said, they threw you right into the middle of the battle, so you got lots of bombastic uh, full pages and double pages, and everybody kind of acting quite sinister when uh, placed in yet another life-ending scenario after we're uh, already entered one, and now we're in another one. I mean, the, the Avengers never seem to get a <laughs> never seem to get a break. Yeah, what's a gentle day at the mansion going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, like the book just, it pulls you in and anybody that's looking to, uh, like get a leg up on Ultron, um, before you go and see the new Avengers movie, this is a really, really awesome, uh, standalone, uh, original graphic novel that showcases just how evil he is and how unstoppable he can be. And like just the kind of sacrifices that it takes from these superheroes to stop him every time. Every time that Ultron comes around and needs to be put down, 
something horrible has to happen in order to, you know, stow him away for X amount of years until he inevitably comes back because it's comics. Um, but like I said, lots and lots of heavy actions and really heavy emotional moments and um, like father-son stuff between the Vision and Hank Pym and even Ultron and just really, really deep conversations between these characters that if you've never seen, like if you've never read anything where Ultron really gets deep into who he is and what he is and what he represents and how he is, you know, like who he was made from and what that means to him as a character. We always see him with hate, hate, hate and all of that stuff. You actually get a different side of him uh, in this book. And that really kind of put a lot of things into perspective and made me even more excited to go and see the movie at uh, the start of this coming month. So it's about all I can say without spoiling stuff. I highly recommend that if you can get your hands on this, that you do so. Um, even if you're not caught up, even if you don't have any idea what's going on, this book, it's, it's dense. It's very wordy, but the action and artwork and um, just setting up Ultron for, for what you're about to see, like I said, the next few weeks, it, it'll paint a really good picture for you and it'll get you pumped up for, for what's to come. So for no other reason, definitely check it out for that. And um, one more thing, if it does turn out to be part of the canon, there's really interesting stuff towards the end that will have repercussions on a lot of stuff going forward. So interesting if that turns out to be true. Hmm. Now You mentioned it's an older team. Who's on board for this issue? Ah, they actually have one of those little diagrams in the beginning <laughs> to ah. tell you who's who. Uh, it says cast, Avengers then, Captain America, Steve Rogers, uh, Thor, as still Thor, uh, Wasp, Yellow Jacket, uh, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Beast, Hawk, uh, Hawkeye, and Iron Man. Wow. And then the Avengers now uh, is Captain America, Sam Wilton, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Sabretooth, Spider-Man, Steve Rogers, Vision, Giant Man, Hank Pym, Wasp, and then a whole bunch of other uh, like villains and, and, and other players wow. and other worldly nice mix. characters that come in. What's that? Yeah, that's a nice mix. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, you know, it, it's, it's funny because these... All of these characters kind of have worked with each other for a very, very long time, and they're all attached in some way to like the Hank Pym character and the Vision character, and you know, people like Sam Wilson has known Vision since the first day that he was on the job, and you know, now they're calling into question his his very existence and whether or not he's a part of the AI or if all of his, uh, you know, his. Um, the word I'm looking for, heroism has displayed enough humanity within him to be considered a part of the human race. Wow! And it, yeah, it get, it gets really it gets really deep into into those philosophical questions. And um, I really enjoyed it. I read it in like halves. It was strange because I put it down, not realizing that there was a time jump. So when I picked it back up, all of a sudden I was thrust into this new team, and, and I was a little disoriented at first. But then I, I got my bearings. Um, and there's a couple of other characters that I'm not I'm not telling you that they're on the book because it would spoil stuff. Um, definitely worth reading. Definitely worth reading to the end just to kind of see what the setup might be for future events. Uh, should this be a part of the continuity, it'll make for some really interesting stories. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, speaking of the Avengers and... and uh we, we've known uh, rumblings of this for a while, but I... 
I have a source. Uh, this is oh. from ever since in my life. <laughs> I have a source uh, close to Marvel, and this could end up not being true. It's still a rumor. But we know that Mark Waid is writing um, all new, all different Avengers. Um, uh, and Mahmoud Asrar is doing the art for that. But uh, we are we're getting reports that Mark Waid and Adam Kubert are going to be doing another Avengers book. Uh, together uh yeah. regular yeah. team avengers book so uh you know i don't know what this with you know speaking of past secret wars uh, like i was saying so who knows what, what that's gonna mean what's gonna happen but um figured we'd share that with you guys i just got yeah. word that we could we could talk about it well we sort of speculated there would have to be two yeah and why not have mark way do both yeah sure so there you go hmm. um we'll, we'll have to see what comes of that but that's hmm. steve you're like you're you're like the fourth or fifth person that's read that and said that it's that it's great so i'm gonna have to yeah have to read that yeah okay, what is the from, um, from justin the other day and, and okay. read it right away and cool. just i mean you already heard what i thought about it so good yeah. mm. what is the cover price of that one um that i believe it's 24.99 or... okay. uh yeah. regular but i've seen it i've seen it on in stock trades for 14 i've seen it on amazon for 18 mm. and um i mean it's worth the 25 bucks like i said i i mean i'm a huge art guy the art in this book is spectacular it's it's up there with some of the best stuff that i've seen um especially the ultron battle pages uh, there's something about the fire and particle effects and like laser effects and stuff like that that just really pop off the page uh in here and lots and lots and lots of emotion from uh hank pym as he kind of says what's what and how he feels about the future of mankind it's uh it's some deep stuff cool yeah. awesome awesome all right, uh, Bob, what do you Okey got for us? Okie dokie. I'm DC happy today. <laughs> it's Convergence, Nightwing, Oracle. It's Gail Simone, Jan Dersima, and colors by West Zoba. I, I imagine it's, that might be Zobia. Uh, yeah. But uh, whatever, the colors, colors are gorgeous. I want to make sure I mention them. Now, of all the worlds that this Convergence event thing and the tie-ins would visit, that we drop in on a pre-New 52 Gotham City and Barbara Gordon... To me, it made it my most anticipated of this whole event, especially considering that Gail Simone, who wrote Birds of Prey for just so long, uh, was on board writing. And as Oracle's my number three favorite female character of all time, how could I not finally <laughs> want to come back here? Now, as per the conceit of this whole event, Gotham's been locked behind a dome for the last year. And what, what Gail Simone does here is through heroes, villains, and regular folk, you really get by showing their coping mechanisms, how it affects everybody. And you really feel as if you're part of this. And through Barbara's really heartfelt and poignant narration, it's really affected her in ways you wouldn't ordinarily expect from this character. And that's not to say this is some sort of metahuman soap opera or something, because first of all, though there is romance and what may be a very fond farewell between two characters who might have been something else than friends mm -hmm. here, there, everywhere. I'm trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. <laughs> you know, the, the convergence does intrude, and we get the flashpoint Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Or, mm -hmm. or is she Hawk Woman? Hawk Woman. Hawk Woman. I think. Okay. I'm going back to pre old <laughs> 52. And what you do get is Barbara and Dick Grayson being at their heroic best. And a nice little twist when things go a different way that you expect it would from one of those characters. Mm -hmm. Am I doing okay? I'm yes. not giving this away. No, no, no. And the only thing that really points out seeing the characterizations of these Flashpoint characters is how much I, it really points out how much I miss the old stuff 
And that in a month or so from now, we may never see these again, or at least until they do another event 10 years down the road. Mm. Uh, uh, great story here. I mean, just really, if you ever read Birds of Prey and loved it, reading even Gail's Batgirl from just before, you should definitely pick this up. Even if you're not doing the event, you want to visit these characters. Uh, Jen Dursum is art. She was, by the way, the first female artist to draw Wonder Woman back in 1983. Oh, wow. wow. In the 300th issue, she did one of the stories in there. Uh, very old school, but really very, very effective. And I think what, what really happens here is the colors really set this into the modern age in a mm-hmm. way, but it's still very grid-oriented, but still energetic panels. As they, they still slide around the grid. It's like that puzzle with one missing tile. <laughs> the thing's going a little bit uh, haywire that way. But I really of all the tines, I read too many of them. Uh, this was uh, far and away my favorite. How about for everybody else? Anyone have some thoughts? Uh, yeah, I read it. I, I really liked it a lot. Um, there's a couple things about, and they're shared with a few of the tie-ins, uh, but I, I love the position that Poison Ivy is in yes. in these books. I think it's that's a very interesting thing. Uh, to to kind of have her as kind of the as a as kind of a savior because somewhat she's mm-hmm. keeping them fed, yes. you know, uh, and that, that's amazing to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved that aspect of it. Um, you know, it was nice. Not, not you know, it was great to see um, Barbara, but uh, you know, uh, Starfire shows up uh, for a couple of panels, yeah. and that was really nice as well. If you're obviously a fan of old, you know, Titans, Titans yeah. and stuff like that, it's cool to see their kind of relationship there and and. and and that chemistry between the two of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it was nice to see these characters interacting. I loved kind of their different perspectives, you know. Um, I, I love that it was narrated by Barbara, but, you know, Dick is a huge part of the book, and, you know, her kind of reflecting on who he is as a person, uh, I, I thought was was really cool to see. And I, I did, I really enjoyed it. Um, I loved, and the last line is is great. The very yeah. last line is awesome. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really good one. Uh, Steve, what did you think? Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was uh, my favorite of the ones that I had read. And um, I mean, you guys already mentioned a couple of things I really enjoyed. But one of the things that I really uh, thought was cool, and it kind of harkened back a little bit to um, Forever Evil, in that uh, there's a scene with Mr. Freeze, and he's kind of uh, at a loss for like, like like what to do with himself and his situation that when you dome off uh villains and stuff like that like there's there's the, the threat level for them goes down like the they're wanting to take over the world or they're wanting to take over Gotham and everything it gets diminished because there's nothing outside of that you know mm-hmm. their 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 playground has become that much smaller and there's really not too many heists that they can pull off because everything's a lot of things have gone to crap so I just I appreciated the the position that he was in where he's pulling the same heist over and over and over again almost like clockwork and the, these villains have grown bored uh within this this dome convergence situation. Um and I really I'm surprised that I really like the the Hawk Girl and Hawkman stuff as well. Um they're a pretty uh imposing couple. <laughs> I would say. Yes, they definitely are. Their weapons are awesome. Yeah, uh, they're always cool characters. I always love seeing them and stuff. I, I feel like they're not used enough. Now. I've never read much. Like, I I think this might even be the first time that I've seen them. Yeah, they, they've had a poor, well, at least I mean, Hawkman has had a couple of poor treatments uh, so far in the New Fifty Two. But uh, mm-hmm. if you Jeff Johns wrote a run on the character, it was around the time yeah. we kind of really first started uh, when he was doing Justice Society mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That's really excellent. Um, 
and you can, he pops up in like all those kind of just sleek books of the, that era and stuff like yeah. that as well. But uh, great character, great, great character. Yeah, I mean, great stuff in the uh, the just sleek cartoon too. There's great yes. stuff with Hawk mm. Girl, especially her and uh, John Stewart's kind of relationship they have going on. But yeah, yeah. and that final um, line is so good. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. Um, all right, so uh, my book of the week is uh, Rebels, number one, Brian Wood, Andrea Muti, uh, colors by Jordi Belair. Uh, and this is a revolutionary war story. Uh, it's not, uh, I mean, there's a little thing in the beginning uh, that, you know, says Rebels is a, a story of historical fiction, and in some places, time and events have been compressed to fit the narrative, and some key historical figures appear in locations where perhaps they never were. The writer assumes all responsibility. So, uh, you know, so they're, they're kind of tweaking uh events to, to fit the to fit their story but uh story of a young a young man who he uh he's he's a young boy and his, and his father takes him out to um you know takes him out with this militia to to fight um the you know the, the redcoats and kind of gives him the, the the trust to give the order fire um and he does it too late he doesn't he gets he freezes he can't do it um, and every time he gives it, he, they can't get all of the British soldiers. Some of them get away, um, and are able to, you know, tell what, what's going on and stuff like that. So, um, and the, the, the deal of it is like his father didn't really yell at him, but his father then kind of lost the respect of all the men. And, um, he decided on that day that he was, that was never going to happen again. So the book is really about him older and him a little bit older and him, um, you know, being the kind of the almost the leader of like this younger group of, of people and uh it was really interesting to see a book based during the revolutionary war for something to have such like a historical significance for something to be really devoid of supernatural stuff for you know it's just it, it's very grounded but it's in a very obviously a very tumultuous time and you don't see a lot of stories doing that right you know a lot of stories will do like Oh, it's the Civil War, but there's aliens, or you know, it's, it's like that. This is just a straight, off, straight out, like you said, historical fiction. So you have a very grounded time period, a very uh, grounded situation, and just a characters kind of playing out in, in this drama. And you know, after reading, I don't know, how many, how many, I read a ton of books this week, like twenty of those books, and I don't, all of them were either obviously crazy superhero stuff or science fiction stuff or apocalypse stuff or whatever. This was really nice. A nice change of pace. Just read something that was just about people, uh, in a, in a very difficult time. And, uh, the, the, the art, uh, by Andrea Moody is, it is really, really, really nice. The colors are obviously great. It's Jody Belair. Um, and I, I really, I really got into it. You know, I think that it's, an awesome read and it, it's not something where you have to be like a history buff to appreciate it. You know, it's just characters happen to be in that situation. Um, but it's nice to see a familiar situation, you know, put into this, this format, which you don't normally see. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was really good. Uh, Steve or Stephanie, did you guys get a chance to read this? I did I not. Did not. <laughs> of course <laughs> you guys didn't. Awesome. I was going to, you said that a lot today. Steph. I, I did- know. The history <laughs> aspect of it um, threw me off of the book. I I'm, don't particularly gravitate towards that stuff, but I've heard nothing but good things from you. If it ain't you. fictional, I don't want nothing to do with it. Nah, I just, I don't. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I, I was never good in history class. I never really paid attention to very much of that well, stuff. Well, it's not a history lesson. <laughs> no, I know, but I don't know. I I, I, I don't know. I, th- I thumbed Picture through Picture stories it, from the revolution. I, it, just didn't, it just didn't strike me. 
Mm. Uh, and as someone who uh, grew up a chunk of their life in New England, it's set in New Hampshire, and, and, and that sort of space has always been very romantic and very um, appealing to me as, as a setting for stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a really cool book, uh, Rebels uh, Number 1 from Dark Horse Comics. All right, let's talk about our, uh, our shared book of the week here, um, which is Kaiju Max, number one from Xander Cannon and Oni Press. Uh, Stephanie, you, uh, you assigned to this book. I definitely read it. You definitely read it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely not just tonight. <laughs> well, regardless of when you read it, you read through it. You know what happens in Kaiju Max. Um, so why don't you explain to the folks at home what Kaiju Max is about? Um, so when we announced it last week, I mean, we, we basically summed it up nicely via the synopsis. Uh, but all of the monsters in the world, you know, all of the kaiju, um, they're being rounded up and sent to this island that is a giant crater. Um, people have come up with a way to contain these monsters. So... Now they're collecting them and trying to put them somewhere where they will not be a menace to society. Um, But, you know, we're seeing this from the monsters' perspectives. So they just want to be with their families, man. Like, (laughs) they weren't being a menace. They were just trying to get food for their babies. I mean, it's just nature. So these monsters obviously feel like a big injustice is being done to them. Humans obviously feel like there's also being a big injustice done to them because their cities are being, you know, like decimated by these giant mods, bleh, monsters. Um, so they're, they're at a bit of a impasse. Impasse? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as a result, you know, um, they're still locked up. And uh, it, it's kind of like cartoony... Oz. <laughs> that's exactly that's a great. It's a great explanation of what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cartoony Oz, but instead of human prisoners, they're kaiju. Um, so Xander Cannon writes and draws uh, this book. He does the colors as well. He does everything for this, and basically Oni Press just publishes it. Mm. Um, I, I'll say right off the bat that my favorite thing about this book is their oh my gosh. Instead of, oh, my God, like, oh, my God, Yura <laughs> is amazing. Like, every time they said that, I was like, oh, this is a, oh, it's not a typo. It's deliberate. Um, and then I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, that, that was amazing. Um, I can't say that I loved the book overall. I thought it was charming and um, it was fun. But it's, it's one of those things to me that read more like, um, sort of like how you feel, Bobby, uh, in regards to like Lumberjanes and all that stuff, like all those kind of um, all ages books, they, they're just more fun uh, to be read all in one sitting mm-hmm. as opposed to issue to issue. Uh, so there wasn't really anything particularly wrong with it. I just think that it would have benefited from all the story being delivered to you at once. Bobby, gotcha. what about you? I, I loved it. Um, and it's funny, it's funny because you mentioned the all ages stuff and, and it might end up falling prey to that for me, just like a lot of those books do, which are, I end up loving first issues and then not feeling that draw to go back to them. Um, but reading through the book, maybe because it's about monsters and like my the little like six year old boy in my <laughs> brain, like gets, gets really happy about it. But, uh, the, uh, 
the 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 kind of weird dichotomy of these cute monsters or these like these cartoony monsters and this Oz kind of drama that kind of joke never got old to me th- throughout the book because it's not really treated as a joke. It's just treated as like, this is the way it is. And um, there are a few jokey moments where there is, you know, there's like, I, I loved kind of like the, the yard where yes. they're doing like their exercises, but it's like them knocking down buildings or step, or it's like on a tread, treadmill, with, treadmill buildings. with little yeah. buildings that they're stepping on. Um, I, I love that. I love that about it. Uh, you know, I thought the main character, I thought they did a very, he did a very good job of, identifying a main character, giving you a motivation for the main character. And, you know, at times I, I'm forgetting that I'm reading about a monster. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just a person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time who wants to get back to their family. And, and I really appreciated that I was able to remove myself from kind of the cutesiness of the book to just appreciate kind of the raw story and characters. Um, you know, I thought it was, like I said, it was very funny. Um, you know that that first time you turn the page and you turn the you're on the first page and you're kind of seeing the perspective of the monster, and then you turn the, and there's that big huge page and he's like hands up to the sky, yeah. you know you're the monsters yeah. to the humans. I I loved that. It was a great way to start the book. Um, yeah, I, I love the dynamics inside the prison. I, I love that there were gangs and, and that there were different factions that were warring against each other and people aren't what they seem. And um, you know, I I really I, I loved all of that and I loved all the different kinds of monsters and the designs of the monsters. And there's, and there's Japanese monsters and there's more European monsters and there's, you know, cyborg monsters and, and, and the mechas, the mechas. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I, I think it's the reveal about like kind of how the humans wrangle them at the end. was, was really cool as well. Um, so I love, it. it's like a meshing of all these different styles thrown into, into one thing um, and kind of the attitude and fun and, and propulsiveness of the story really kept me going throughout the entire thing. So I ended up really enjoying it. Um, if I laugh out loud, even once while I'm reading a book, that's a pretty big win, I think, Yeah. For in my book, for, for, for a comic book. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, Bob, what about you? I do too. I really enjoyed the heck out of this. And I'm a big Godzilla fan. I mean, sitting here, I have my copy of Destroy All Monsters, which is this <laughs> very reminiscent where it's an island where all the monsters were... Mm-hmm. were put aside until the evil space aliens, you know, let them out to wreck cities and <laughs> destroy everything. The prison stuff was very grown up. And, yes. You know, and, and the art being as crazy, goofy, cartoony in a good way mm-hmm. really played that up and made it even more pointed because, you know, Electrogore, or Eager as he <laughs> calls himself, you know, his first line is about, I'm just a family man trying to get food for my kids. Of course, the food he's carrying around in his back is uranium-235 mm-hmm. that they make atom bombs from. Yes. He's like a Jean Valjean. <laughs> yes, of monsters. Yes. And, uh, oh, my the, God, if they made a musical out of this. Yes, I, yeah, I would go with that. Terror and Respect, the movie. <laughs> yeah. The fellow who runs the prison is the giant hell moth, big white mm-hmm. moth man sort of mm-hmm. character who's <laughs> covered tattoos. in tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> It's just hysterical stuff. But it, it's still dramatically sound. Mm-hmm. It, it's really put together well. The characters you care about, when when the warden gets big, mm-hmm. Warden Kang yeah. you know, goes into his Ultraman mode mm-hmm. or whatever, yes. and just tosses him, mm-hmm. and he's going to toss him in the hole, yeah. which in this case is a real hole. <laughs> you know, it's a real volcanic crater. Uh, we have, we're going to have prison riots where they're going to shiv people by using sharpened... <laughs> Ocean liners. 
Well, I will say, though, I, I do agree with you, Steph, that I would rather read this. If this had been an oversized, the way uh, mm-hmm. uh, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot was, the Jeff Darrow series, mm-hmm. you know, an oversized big book, double length, you know, 50 pages of this with a conclusion, mm-hmm. I'd be going back to this over and over and over again. I don't know how long this mm. joke can play, but for one issue, which, by the way, is very hard to get, I had to read this on my computer <laughs> because I went to every comic book store on Long Island and mm. nobody had this. I got the last issue from uh, Fourth World. You are, are you sure? the only issue. Yeah, I got it I got it on uh man, they might have gotten it back in because I got it on Ah, like, because I got the last issue from Fourth World. I got it on Saturday. Okay. Uh, I got, Saturday I got it Sunday? on Wednesday. Oh yeah, yeah, I got it on Saturday or Sunday. They had one issue sitting out. Maybe wow. somebody didn't come and pick up yeah, maybe I it. hit there I went there Sunday, it was gone. Oh yeah, so yeah, I got I got it yep. before you. Yep. <laughs> It's like ah, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, art and colors, story, the whole thing, a lot of fun. Mm. How about you, Steve? Uh, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a lot of fun. I uh, I have a thing for I I like the show Oz, um, Orange is the New Black. For whatever reason, I don't know what this says about me, but I enjoy stories, Shawshank Redemption as well, of stories that take place in prisons. I like the kind of dividing of the gangs of the groups and. Just all of the like you could you could die at any moment, and there's always there's danger around every corner, around in every cell, all being put in with all these you know psychotics, and then people that don't deserve to be there, perhaps. Um, and you have the story about like you said, this family man uh, kaiju that gets dumped on this island with all of these other uh, kaiju's of of varying uh, law breaking. Uh, the word I'm looking for is I'm sorry I'm really not feeling well. Um, more or less, I I just I really enjoyed it. I, it reminded me of um, a book that I talked about. I can't even remember. I think it was a year ago, maybe two years ago, called Gamma uh, from Dark Horse, mm-hmm. and like art style wise and just the overall vibe of it. Um, I like that it was like cartoony and playful, but like like you said, Bobby, if you got past that and just looked at them not as kaiju but as people that there was really like a an interesting social commentary you know within this book and all the other stuff was just so funny that there's a like a volcanic mountain that's like the boss of one of the gangs they have like mm-hmm. the crypts and the bloods uh, running around the kind of uh like ultramanish uh warden that they have and uh, like all those elements of growing up and watching stuff like Inframan and Power Rangers to see all of that come together into a comic is is just a good time. And um, your your note about um the social commentary, like on the very first page when the mm-hmm. kaiju's like explaining what's going on, he's like, It's like it's a social commentary. Like he like <laughs> says that like right off the bat. Yeah. This isn't a metaphor. <laughs> they got like like they, all the characters that you've seen in in film or read in books, like they're all here. Like they got this like giant baboon kaiju that's kind of like the right hand man of I guess like the head of the the bloods or or the crypts or whatever they're called. And he's just like sidling over to characters and causing trouble and, you know, handing him the the shiv like ocean liner object. The yard was funny. I love this uh this one kaiju that comes in, something my lizards, can I get can I rotate yeah, yeah. in and they're giving fist bumps and stuff? <laughs> um, lifting like whole uh cargo freight like, freighters with cargo crates on them. 
stomping down uh, buildings and stuff. Like it was bringing me back to my uh, what you call it, like um, rehabilitation days when I messed up my knee. And I'm like, what if I went to a rehabilitation clinic with all of these kaiju's? That would have been amazing. Uh, I like how different they all look. Some of them are really silly looking. There's this one purple dude with like this elongated snout and horns and these giant teeth. Um, this goat man. I don't know. I it's weird. I I read this uh, one time and I was like, that was cute. That was cool. And then I read it again and I like I started to pick up on all these little notes. Like I'm actually concerned for uh, something that's happening outside of the prison. There's mm-hmm. there's some nefarious things going on. And um, I agree that it it would probably like it's a it's a book that I would have liked to have stayed in until the end, um, especially if it's going to be difficult to get uh, moving forward. I don't even know how many issues it is. Do we know? I don't know. No. Okay. Um, assuming I can get my hands on it, I will definitely pick it up. But if I can't find it, then I would I would most certainly pick up the trade uh, once it's all collected. Uh, like you said. How long can you know all the little nods and all the little jokes last if they time it right and, and kind of keep it concise and funny and fun? Um, this could end up being a really, really awesome book. I just looked, it is an ongoing, so it's not limited or anything. Oh, it is, mm. yeah, wow, interesting. Cool. That's cool, yeah. I, you said something, you said, Steve, about like the design, it's cool because you really look at it, there's like not two of the same looking monsters no. in, the, in the entire book. No. Um, I, and like that one, that, I don't think he even says has a line, but that one that has like the top hat and the wings and like the suit. Wing Jack. On, yeah. It like captured my imagination yeah. immediately. I was like, what does that guy do? Why yeah. does he look like a person? You know, that's, you have to wait to see what he does. Yeah, yeah. There's, but, a, uh, there's one in here that looks um, almost like a xenomorph from mm-hmm. Aliens. Yeah. Um, the, there's one looks, looks, looks like a straight up like, there's one that looks straight up like a, like Holy a 50s sh- alien or yeah. whatever, yeah. Dude, the giant tortoise with the red shell and the wings straight out yeah. of Mario Brothers. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, really cool. It's just like a lot of imagination going on. And um, I, I do agree with everyone, though, they're saying, like, I wish that I could just read this all. I want to, like I said, I want to stay in this world. Mm-hmm. I want because, like, I want it to be able to, I want it to keep my attention. Mm-hmm. And it's tough when we, with, when reading all these books for books like this, often to keep my attention just because I feel like I have to read the other stuff. And if I get to this, great. And then I, next thing you know, I miss, I miss one issue mm-hmm. and then but, I'm, I'm two or three behind. And it's like, what am I going to, I'll just read it. I'll read it when it all comes out or whatever, you know? This would be really and I don't cool want to read it to in volumes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But it was a really great read. I was really, you know, I thought, oh, this is just going to be fun and silly. And, I end up really, really now, loving it. Did anyone get? Uh, maybe I'm just the one mm. old enough or just two into Godzilla. The ape whale. No. The thing looks like a whale, mm-hmm. and the, and his little mm-hmm. yeah. buddy. Oh, they used to be important. Yeah. Uh, as Stephanie mentioned before, Godzilla, as we know here, is Gojira, mm-hmm. which in one of the early models they were making for a Godzilla, he was sort of an, a gorilla whale, and the word. Gojira oh, wow. is the Japanese words for gorilla and whale. Gorira and Kujira oh. is a portmanteau in Japanese. I don't know if there is such a thing, but that's <laughs> what. So it's a double in joke where you've got this thing that looks like a blue whale that's also half an ape, and mm-hmm. he's got his little kid there. Yeah, they used to be big, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah, we showed them. Take them out. Wow. Learning I, stuff. I, I guarantee you, I don't, know, I don't know if any other comic book podcast is talking about this book, but none of them had that fact <laughs> on it. I guarantee you that. Um, we had some uh, listeners uh, write in using hashtag TCBOTW. Kaiju Max 1 reads as a straight-up HBO prison drama with a cute overlay, shanking, racism, blackmail, <laughs> and cuddly monsters. I'm in. 
it's Lenny underscore Reed. At Wright M. Josh says, Kaiju Max was a lot of fun. Loved the humor throughout. Have any of you read Heck by Cannon? Hmm. Which Alexander oh. Cannon is the is the uh, oh. the author of the book. I have not read. I Heck. have that somewhere actually. I think I just haven't read it. Um, definitely caught my eye though. As like a, the voice, especially the art and the voice, both caught my eye. Something I want to check out. Um, this guy I've never heard before at h underscore paz Hugh Perry uh, <laughs> says Kaiju Max had me hooked as soon as I saw the Kaiju working out bicep curls with a boat. Brilliant. <laughs> um, I can't do his accent. Uh, at Little Bastion says, it was cute, but didn't really suck him in. And uh, Stim- Stimuli File says, won't have time to read this till after the podcast, but I like the art. So there you go. Um, yeah, that's Kaiju Max, number one. Uh, I can't for the life remember whose turn it is to assign a book. It is mine. Oh, it is yours, Steve. Yeah, it is. Well, I'm glad you remembered, so that means you probably have a book to, to give us. <laughs> I do, and it's a good one. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, hope, you hope, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Your track record, not sterling so far. <laughs> Well, how do you all feel about Archie versus Predator number one? I feel great about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I thought that would go over. Predator wins. <laughs> I don't know. Or so you think. So 70. what happened to Afterlife with Archie? Is it been solicited? It just yeah. No. Okay. It's just behind. Yeah. They they um they solicited that and they talked about issue number two of uh, Sabrina. Um, comes out. Yeah, it comes out today. It comes out today. Yeah, and uh, and also a, a third series. Huh. Uh, the third horror series that they'll be bringing out. So, um, yeah, we should expect to see that, that pretty soon. But Sweet. Mrs. Weatherby of Salem. <laughs> uh, it's going to be like Josie Jose and the Pussycats, except her, she's going to have like a guitar that actually, it's actually an axe. Oh, my God. Oh, Mr. Weatherby in Salem would be fun. <laughs> he could be with your Cotton Mather with the hat and everything. Um, whenever that you say that name, all I think about is Chasing Amy. And that yeah, discussion okay. between... Yeah, yeah Banksy. Uh, Banksy. All right, so Archie versus Predator, <laughs> number one. How could I not pick that? I'm super excited to read it, and uh, this will assure that I actually read it this week and didn't know, like put it off to the side. So awesome! So guys, if you guys want to get in touch with us and and get your thoughts on Archie versus Predator number one, in use hashtag TCBOTW. Um, we're hitting us up on the forums as well to let us know what you think uh, uh, of those books. Um, we're gonna take a little break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk all about. Netflix and Marvel's Daredevil. We are back, and we're here to talk about Netflix and Marvel's Daredevil series. Um, I feel like we've been talking about it for for years, and it's finally here, premiered on Netflix on Friday, um, and it's recording this on Tuesday, so uh, people have ample time to uh, binge watch the show. But if you haven't yet, uh, just so you know, we're going to go into um, impressions about the show, you know, performances. Um, we're going to do know, impressions of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, ahead, I'm Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta say, I'm doing this for the city. Like a lot, uh, but oh, yes, uh, <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about that stuff. You know, we're going to mention character names. We're going to mention probably early plot points. So if you guys want to go in absolutely cold for the show, you probably shouldn't listen to this review, watch some of it and come back. Um, but as far as like major spoiler stuff goes, if we hit any of that, we're going to do it in a spoiler section. So don't worry. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to get into that at, at a later time. Um, 
Bob has not watched the show, um, and but he does not. I gave him. I gave him the opportunity yes. to not be part of the discussion, so he didn't have to. You have to get spoiled. But since he hasn't watched the show, uh, Bob's gonna kind of ask us questions uh, about the yeah. show um, as someone who hasn't seen it. So you, you can kind of be the audience perspective uh, on this. Of course, we'll go off. However, we go off on the on those on those topics. Um, but just gotta know, Daredevil is a story of Matt Murdock, obviously a blind lawyer in Hell's Kitchen, who got hit in the eyes with react material and. He, Yes, he's blind. What? Spoilers. Um, he gets hit in the eyes with radioactive material when he's a child, and he's ga- uh, gifted the powers of extreme senses, um, even though he lost his sight. And uh, as an adult, he's a lawyer by day and this this math vigilante by night. And this is very much, it's not like the first time he's put on the mask, but we're definitely in the the early stages of Matt Murdock putting on a mask and being a mask vigilante in, um, in New York in hell's kitchen. Uh, so it's a very early story. Think more, you know, Batman begins ish, um, in a lot of ways. Um, and he's coming face to face with, uh, Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin. So that's the story. Um, very street level, very Kong. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, no, uh, no aliens to be, to be found here. Um, but yeah, so that's, what's going on there. Um, we'll, we'll do overall impressions first and then yes, we'll get into your, your questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Stephanie, uh, I, I actually haven't heard any, any word from you about what you thought of the show. What did you think of Daredevil? I really enjoyed it. Um, it, I, I was talking to it to a friend of mine, uh, via text about, you know, my impressions right off the bat. And he made a really good point that, um, it's a really nice mix between like Flash and uh, Arrow, where Flash is kind of like, you know, the hero you're rooting for, and he's like bubbly and like charming, and Arrow's so gritty and dark, and Daredevil falls somewhere in between that. Um, you know, like it's not ceaselessly bleak, um, but there is a lot of darkness to it because he's blind. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I, I thought the casting choices um, wound up being, like, perfect. You know, Vincent D'Onofrio was unrecognizable at first. I was like, are you kidding me? That's <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio? Dude. Uh, like, he looks amazing, but, like, dude did not age well. <laughs> um, like, seriously, he, I, I'm not even joking. I'm going to just keep saying this, but he looks like bald Donkey Kong. um but he's excellent in the role he's excellent um rosario dawson as claire aka night nurse was a perfect choice all these people i would not have picked you know like if we were doing a casting episode these people wouldn't have been on my list at all but they're perfect charlie cox has had my heart since stardust i love that movie i loved him in that movie and i wouldn't have seen him in this role but he's amazing he did such a great job um you know being like ninja daredevil uh kick-ass kung fu parkour master it's like how many parkour moves can we put into this (laughs) particular scene does he need to do a backflip right now no (laughs) cool let's do it (laughs) um but yeah i i really enjoyed it uh it's a lot gorier, bloodier than I thought it was going to be. Um, there's a particular scene with Fisk and um, somebody from the Russian mob and, and a car door, we'll say. Uh, yes. And I was like, what? When is this scene going to end? Oh, <laughs> no, nope, still going. 
<laughs> oh no, we're still. Oh wow, keep going. Is there? Well, okay. Hmm. Good. Well, no. Oh, okay. Oh, now we're done. Oh, nope. Cool. Still more. Uh, but you know, overall, I thought it was. Uh, it, it was. It was great. It was very, very good. It needed more Rosario Dawson, though. She was not in the show as much as I thought she was going to be. Uh, I also was really surprised by um, what was the guy who is cast as Foggy Nelson? Eldon Henson. Yes. Eldon Henson. Yes. He was amazing. Yeah, he's um, awesome. Deborah Ann Wall, I could just picture only as Jessica from True Blood. Um, I'm sorry, you've been typecast. Uh, but she was still very good despite that. Uh, but I think for me, Charlie Cox and um, Eldon Henson were really stand out. And maybe even more Eldon Henson because he hadn't been on my radar at all. And I was just really blown away by um, how well he did in this role. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, have, I have obviously more thoughts, but um, they, they fall into a bit more spoilery stuff. So I'll pass the torch. All right, Steve. Yes. What about you? What, how, how, what do you think of Daredevil? I honestly think it's one of the best things that Marvel's ever done. Uh, I really, really appreciated the kind of long form uh, format, episodic format that they had. I loved that it was not so much. I mean, it was gritty, but I was kind of trying to stay away from that word when describing it to people. Um, I used the word more grounded because there was like there was no CGI. All practical effects, hand-to-hand combat. I mean, the fight scenes, the fight choreography throughout the entire series. There's like at least three fight scenes in particular that were super, super impressive. Uh, I loved the idea, just not even the idea, the fact that people got tired when when fighting. Uh, you never see that. Like fight scenes in in shows and in film and everything, they're always so clean and so snappy and stuff like that. That shit's exhausting. If you're getting pummeled and you're still in the fight, I just I love the way that the the way that they filmed it, the way that Charlie Cox reacted to things, that it all reflected that. Um, I thought it was a really good blend between uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil and like tiny smatterings of Mark Wade's. Not so much. But a lot of the um, like core relationship aspects, particularly the uh, Matt and Foggy stuff, I felt was was there. Um, they had some really really powerful scenes together. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Vincent D'Onofrio was amazing. Uh, I haven't seen him in anything I think since The Cell. So I mean that was a long time ago. That that movie. Uh, he was in a cop show for a while, right? Yeah, it's the law and order criminal intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I, I, I have spoiler territory stuff as well. But overall, I really enjoyed it. It was much more gruesome than I'd anticipated it being. And I, like, I wasn't sure how to feel about that at first. But then I, I got really, really into it. And that, like, that Marvel tends to keep things on the safer side because they want it to be all inclusive and, and possibly kid friendly. Our friend Jackie was coming back from England. She's like, should I watch this show or not? I'm not really, you know, into the, into comics all that much. And I said, you should absolutely watch it, but you know, you need to exercise caution when inviting Luke, uh, her son, he's about like nine or 10 years old into the room 
and she she had all intentions of watching it with him. And I I I tweeted her, I texted her or something, and I was like, "Yo, I'm like, you really should probably check it out for yourself. Um, definitely not kid friendly." So, with that in mind, I love that Marvel went there and they stayed there. There was a scene in the th- the beginning of the third episode that like I almost threw up. <laughs> and but like I love that. Like I love the fact that they they did that and it was as as visceral and as brutal as it I guess they wanted it to be and it was kind of like to me it was them, you know, taking off the gloves and being like, yeah, this is what you're in for. Like we're going to hit you really hard in all of the areas where we haven't been able to before because everything that we've done up until this point has been either PG or PG-13. This is a very hard R, you know, Marvel Universe. Uh, I liked the idea that they made mention of other events and other things throughout the Marvel Universe, kind of making it feel like it is a part of everything. Uh, I loved recognizing a lot of the locations that the show portions of it were filmed in Williamsburg, a uh, place that I've been frequenting a lot for the last couple of years. So street corners and like even the bar where they they drank in and stuff like that. Like I've seen that bar. I know where that street is. And um, yeah, just oh god, I loved the costume, the the black bass costume that he's running around in for the majority of the uh, season. Just wonderful. Rosario Dawson was wonderful, and uh, a surprise casting that I did not know about. I won't give away the character, but. Uh, the actor's name is Bob Gunton. He was the warden in Shawshank Redemption that I had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. He was hilarious in this show. He had me in stitches throughout the entire season mm-hmm. with just his his snarky commentary. And, uh, oh, God, I, I like him in general. Whenever I, he pops up in anything, I'm always like I sit up in my chair and I'm entertained. He was so good in this. Um, lots of surprises, lots of Easter eggs, lots of little cameos from other characters. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had a hell of a ride watching it. I watched it all at once. I started at like noon. I went six episodes and I took a nap for about an hour and a half. And then I got up and watched the rest. And I mean, by the time it was over, I was just, I was so spent, but so like elated and, and impressed with, this showing uh, from Marvel. And I can't, all I could think of is I cannot wait to see Jessica Jones and see what they do with that and how they're going to make that different from this. Yeah. I mean, so going right off from kind of, you mentioned the brutality and stuff like that. I think that if you're going to go pay cable Netflix route, you're not going to have this on ABC, then there's gotta be a reason why you do that. And, and I think that they, that, that that's why they went where they went. And what I liked about the violence right off the bat, and I want to, Vine's contextualized in the fact that um, it is really hard, like you see what you're saying, to, be, to do this. It's re- to, to go out on the streets and to fight someone is a really difficult thing when you're not mm-hmm. a big, shiny, bright, powerful god or you have a super suit or you, you know, it's tough to go out there and just try to be th- th- this, this hero um, or just try to make the, your, your city a, a better place. And, um, you know, what I liked about the way they showed the kingpin violence as well was that they, because they do a really cool thing with the kingpin, which is that they're they're playing out two storylines with him. They're playing out kind of this villain storyline with him, where he's this like this crime lord and he's doing really horrible things to people, but he's also falling in love at the same time mm-hmm. with this woman, 
And I loved that they used the two different ways that he was going to show the different sides of him and show that, yeah, he's a horrible person, but he's still a person. So there's something about him. Not everything is black and white, you know, and I, I like that about it. Um, I'll echo what Stephanie was saying about Charlie Cox. Uh, fantastic. Um, just, I, I think playing Matt Murdock and playing someone who relies on all his other senses to know what's going on. There was like a stillness to his performance, especially when he was Matt, that it was very different than what you see in, in most performances. You know, there's a lot of listening, a lot of, a lot of just, just slightly cocked head and very, you know, a lot of time, very measured, controlled speaking. And, and, and it made the time where he would burst and get bigger, um, all the more affecting, uh, Eldon Henson as Foggy Nelson was great, and their and their relationship, as it should be, is really mm-hmm. kind of the the heartbeat of the show. Um, there's ne- this is not a spoiler. It's not specifically where they really delve into their past together. And there's one scene together where they're drunk walking around at, at, at law school, <laughs> which I had this like giant stupid smile on my face, and I was just like sitting there, I was like, wow. I was like, this is exactly this is great that they can show this this dark, you know, literally the actual darkness, not like dark thematically, literal darkness and dirtiness of the streets of New York and what it means and the bloodiness of, of getting into these fights. And then this lighter, more fun tone. And there's scenes throughout the, 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 uh, the show between foggy and Matt and Karen that it's just, it just really feels so natural. It feels like three friends joking around and talking and they're laughing at each other and ribbing on each other. And, I loved th- that part of it. Um, it's not for you. It was awesome. Uh, one of those things where he's so, he's so deep and layered and he has such an interesting journey from the beginning to the end of the show where you feel like really this guy could go off and be the villain in, you know, the, the next Spider-Man movie, or he could go off and be a villain in, in one of the, in one of the, 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 the actual films from Marvel, you know, that well done. Um, uh, Deborah Ann Wall, I loved as Karen Page, and any, anyone who knows the comics, like, um, not saying where, the, where they go in the season, but anyone who knows the comics, the moment Karen shows up on screen, my heart was already breaking, you know, um, and, and it was really good that, that, that like there's several instances in the show where she could have become this big victim, and and they they steer away from that um, multiple times, which 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 I loved. Um, Rosario Dawson, like you guys said, is great. Uh, you can never have enough Rosario Dawson in anything. Yeah. She's, <laughs> in my she's incredible. She just has a, a like a, a fire to her that it's not communicated in, in yelling or any actions. It's just there's such a, a energy to her when she speaks and when she's just there that that is great. And she's a great foil for Matt. The way they play off each other, um, she's a great also great for allowing Matt to talk about who he is and what he's doing and, and what his, what his abilities mean, you know, without it seeming unnatural. Uh, I, I dug the flashback stuff a lot. I think the guy who played his father was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's funny because the show, <laughs> the show, it, it, it's a really different league, right? Than the movie that came out all those years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was now, 11 years ago. Um, but you can see the thematic elements they're drawing on, you know, like the the the, the religious aspect of, of the stuff going on there, um, and, and kind of certain certain themes and, and ways they're going about it. But they're they're just so much more played out here than they ever have been before. Um, 
you know, if the only Daredevil you've ever read of bringing back to comic books is the Mark Wade stuff, this is very different than that. Um, this is much more Frank Miller, Bendis, Brubaker, Daredevil, but um, really done so in a great way. And it's thing, there's little Easter eggs. There, there are definitely a few Easter eggs, and we'll get in this in spoiler time for one of the shows that, that's coming up, which I, which made me very excited. So uh, happy to see that, and the fight scenes. I, I can't. There's a there's a scene, the scene that everyone's talking about. There's a scene in episode two. There's a, there's a hallway fight in episode two, um, and what really drove it home to me was, and Steve, you were saying this right that that in a lot of superhero movies, they're even an arrow where he's a normal dude, mm-hmm. when he goes into a place and clears people out, he punches them a couple times, you know, he'll shoot them in the air, with an arrow, and then they're just out of commission, right? They're just yeah. like, I've cleared this room, I'm done, right? Yeah. But what this show does is it shows you like, look, Matt has super senses, but Matt is not super strong. So when he punches somebody in the face, yeah, they're gonna go down, but they're not knocked out. They're not, yeah. they get back up. So yeah, you have to fight 10 people, but it's not like you have to fight one of them one time. It's like you're fighting 30 people because they're going to keep getting back up and you have to keep knocking them down. And this scene, there's a lot of like hidden cuts in it, but it's basically like a three minute long take of Matt battling down this hallway. And Steve was saying, you just get the sense like, how does he, how is he going to do this? Yeah. You know, how is he going to finish this off? Because you mm-hmm. just, you feel like there's, there's so many times in that fight where you go, he can't do it. Like he, he just, he's just a dude, yeah. you know, he's just, when he gets hit, it really hurts. It's not like he has no padding. He has nothing. It's just, he's taking these lumps just like anybody else would take them. I love that they like how much they use the environment. Like I watch a lot of martial arts films. Um, my friend Chris and I, like that's what we do when we hang out. And I mean, we've seen arrow and there's fight choreography and then there's fight choreography and whoever they got to be on this show and, and do this stuff did a really amazing job in terms of like using the environment and using momentum to throw the punches, to throw the kicks. Like in that scene that you're talking about in the, that hallway fight, like if you watch his body, he actually like he's so tired, but he mm-hmm. still has threats around him that he's like resting up against the wall and then uses the wall to kind of like roll off of his shoulder to roll into the punch. Mm-hmm. You know, and just using the environment to uh, get that extra push, to have that extra bit of, of force behind that fist to get that guy down. And then there's other guys coming up because, like, you get hit once. Some people get knocked right out. And that's it. Mm-hmm. But other people, they shake it off. You know, like the, the little tweeting birds go away and they're back from work, but they're staggered and they're tired and they're trying to get back up. And, like, I don't really see that a lot in film. Like, everything is so clean usually and everybody's so trained and so precise in what they're doing and it all just looks fake this looked as real as it could get yeah absolutely Um, sorry stepping ahead no i just wanted to kind of chip in uh something that i meant to say a bit earlier and uh when we were talking about agent carter uh and discussing the first few episodes of that um we all had a little bit of a discussion Mm. uh, along the lines of uh the repercussions of being in a fight and how Agent Carter didn't really do a good job of showing, you know, the bruises and the cuts and all that stuff and how I personally find it, I think it's very important to show those things because fights, you know, you don't come out like looking peachy keen. You're bruised, you're swollen, Mm -hmm. you have broken bones. Like there's, there's a lot of damage that can be done with fights with any kind of violence, really, not just mm-hmm. fights. Yeah. Um, and 
one thing that I really want to commend Daredevil on is um, an overall theme for the show is consequences. Absolutely, um, yes. And they don't just show that, like, it's not just a theme where they talk about what happens, you know, due to them doing one thing. They show it. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something happens to Karen in the very first episode. Uh, and she carries that scar with her for like several episodes you know she has this bruise uh that's in a very visible spot and it slowly fades like a bruise it's not just magically gone in the next scene it's it's not just you know erased from our memories uh with this character it stays and all of the characters um when they take a beating their bruises and their cuts and when Matt takes, you know, a big hit to the face, he's got like a big puffy cheek. And I love that. I love it. I know a lot of shows realistically, they don't film like and release episodes like they do with Daredevil. Right. But I think it's still really important to have continuity be on top of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we should never glorify violence. And I love seen the effects of you know all of this um this wear and tear on these characters and uh the scars and just everything um and even during the fights you know like matt isn't immortal you see the fatigue Mm -hmm. and that's something that i just don't think i've seen a lot of in anything and i i I was talking a little bit about it on Twitter um, and people were saying that, yeah, but it's like a superhero show. Uh, so they don't always want to see that sort of stuff. But Matt isn't a superhero. He's human, you know, and with superheroes, fine. You can justify it by saying Thor's a god. He doesn't bruise easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matt's got heightened senses. Not He's not Wolverine. Right. You know, and I... I just above a lot of other things in the show that were equally amazing. I just really want to commend the people who made that choice to show the consequences. And I think that's a great word for it. Stephanie is the consequences. And they, they, that's the thing about it. That's why the violence, the never point in the violence where you, you get this feeling where you're like, fuck yeah, they broke somebody's leg. Like you never feel that way. Right. They make you feel the consequences of, of every single thing that happens. There's no, like you know thoughtless collateral damage in in daredevil you know every every death every injury is is brooded on you know and and is shown to be something that's not something to be taken lightly yeah and, and even, if they're gonna go where they went they, it, was, it was important for them to do and even characters that you don't like and again i don't i won't spoil anything yeah. but there's some deaths of characters that like you would think you want gone and dead and killed and then you know things happen to those characters and you're like, you genuinely feel like, Oh, did I really want this? Like this was somebody's Mm. friend. This was somebody's son. This was like, it makes you think about, um, your actions. Absolutely. And I I think that's a really powerful thing to do in a show like this. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have too much more that's not spoilery to, <laughs> to say about okay. it. Um, Bob, I don't know if you have any questions that are not in spoiler territory that you want to ask. Sure, right now. Honestly, okay. it plays off something Stephanie was saying about speaking to a civilian, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, the way this is all set out is the world created credible enough that this will play to a non-comics audience and if and when they choose to do that, should they even try to do that? Um, I think absolutely. I mean, I think that it definitely plays a lot in the area of what a lot of modern TV is doing, right? You know, okay. in, in like, a, you know, these shows obviously totally different thematically, but like Breaking Bad or um, Mad Men or, you know, Walking Dead or, you know, even Game of Thrones or whatever, or Orange is the New Black, this like, this this commitment to showing the underbelly of things um, is very much prevalent in, in Daredevil. Um, it's very much, look, you have to be, you, there is some, you have to be able to take the leap that this guy is able to hear heartbeats through the walls. You know, mm-hmm. he can smell perfume from like a mile away or whatever it might be. Right. And he's able to get around and jump off rooftops, even though he's blind. You have to be able to take that. There is that Marvel leap that you have to take. Um, but other than that, um, it, it doesn't. It, it it you don't need to be a big comic book person to enjoy it. That being said, they don't shy away. They're not embarrassed of the comic book roots of the character. Um, it's just that it's much more like very. It, it's not dealing with aliens, or it's not dealing sure. with the big world ending stuff. And that's one thing I'll say too. That I'm glad you brought this up because one of the things I loved about it was the end result of. You know, a lot of this is one neighborhood in New York. That's what they're fighting for. And I loved that that was the stakes of, of, of the story, was this one neighborhood, you know, very important to these one people, but versus the Avengers where you're saving the entire world, mm-hmm. it looks, it pales in comparison, but it's at more times more vital, I think. Sure. B- being that way. But also speaking into, it does tie into like Avengers in a lot of ways. Oh, it does. Too. It does. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you yeah. know. There, there's a lot of subtle references um, mm-hmm. to the events that happened that like decimated the city. And, you know, Man of Steel gets flack a lot for um, the destruction that, you know, happened. Um, and I'll be interested to see if they kind of address that in um, the movies to come. But Daredevil addressed the things that happened um, in Avengers and the yeah. destruction and how the city is still rebuilding. Um, so, I don't know. But it's not a vital part. You know, like, it's just, like, little Easter eggs, I guess. If you're a fan, you're like, oh, cool. Like, they're tying this in um, to, you know, the larger world. And Marvel's just playing this game called Nana Nana Boo Boo. We're really good at tying everything together. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that they use what happened in the Avengers as a, like, really kind of essential uh, plot development thing because they go like, okay, the world got destroyed. People have to move in to rebuild. And when anybody moves in to rebuild, there's going to be corrupt people sure. passing money, money on their table. And what happened with the Avengers saving the world allowed for these people who are not so nice to gain a foothold and gain power. And again, it's that street level thing, right? It's not taking place on the rooftop. It's taking place in the alleys and showing you what happens to actual people when, when these things go on. And I, that I thought was a great move for them. Yeah. Keeps things totally different. Sure. Now, Steve, while we're on this, I'm going to throw one at you. Are sure. you ready? Yep. Okay. Now, taking all what we were just saying together, can this help 
flesh in the Marvel Universe, the regular civilians that we've not seen except as cannon fodder then in all these other movies. Now, these people were going to feel they had lives and everything else. Does it do a good job of that, you think? Oh, I would definitely think so. I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to, to do it with spoiler territory, but like Stephanie was saying... Um, like they they make reference um like some of like the mobsters or villains um there's a conversation that happens towards the the start of the series where they're saying how the destruction that the superheroes have created creates new business for them that like the superheroes are actually benefiting them because they're taking over the territories that have been destroyed and and there's money in rebuilding and moving that money around uh-huh. and how they're getting richer and they're getting fatter. So in ways, what's happening in these other major films, you're kind of getting to see the fallout from that. And as much of a fan as you are of like street level stuff, this is down on the streets. I mean, this is, you know, there are your Thors and your Captain Americas. They're all running around doing bigger things. This is Matt Murdock, an unknown you know, working down in Hell's Kitchen, who is a street-level hero making a name for himself. And it really kind of puts you in the shoes of, like, I was thinking of um, the waitress that was in The Avengers. They um, yeah. they do, like, a short little interview with her towards the end of the movie where she's thanking The Avengers for saving her life and stuff like that. These are Those are the people that you see in the diners that they meet in. These are, you know, the thugs that you see in the streets are the ones, like hidden in the alleyways that got crushed and all of these things. Um, I think it really sets up a larger uh, Marvel universe. You know, we always get, it's like I said, with the, with the fighting scenes and stuff and some of the hero things, we always get to see the big things on such a large scale because it's like silver screen, big stuff. Now that we're doing serialized television style, it's affording us to look at like the... Um, like the buildings that have been forgotten or ones that are half torn down or a section of, of town that's rent controlled and these people are still struggling with like the destruction if like their buildings got uh, shaken and their pipes have burst and their walls have fallen apart and they have like a really crappy landlord who won't lift a finger to help them because there's no money in helping them you get to see those people and learn about their struggle so in ways, like all of the destruction and all the fallout, you now get to see how that affects the city. And that's what Matt is, is fighting for and dealing with. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, um, quickly on, before we, we're going to get spoilers, yeah. I've got those kind of things coming too. <laughs> uh, on Matt's powers, how are they represented? In the movie, one of the highlights really was that the radar sense really worked pretty impressively. Has that handled here or is it just sort of, you let him do it, and it happens. You you don't see much of it at all. You okay. see, he talks about it, um, and you see. I think, um, you know, you see like one shot basically of what he sees, but it's basically dealt with 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 him. Just uh, they do like certain visual things, like they'll create like this kind of uh, cone of, uh, of everything out of focus in one bit, like in hyper focus, okay. and that's kind of what yeah. he's listening to or what he's hearing. But it's it's mostly just you know, you, it's mostly you get the hearing sense. You don't get really like the oh, he's jumping from building to building and he's like pinging stuff to jump to. They don't really do that. He kind of says it, but they don't really show it in, in any way, which I thought, I think they were avoiding it on purpose. I think because they didn't know where to go with it, I think is that's that's the sense I got. Okay. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how does his, 
maybe is this uh, let's talk about his origin and how this all ties together we into spoiler territory because uh, um, i'm coming at this from zero so. yeah 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 so let's uh i mean we can we've given our general thoughts about okay. the show i mean that's that's pretty good we can move into spoiler stuff you'll ask us our, your questions and then we'll get into other sure. stuff the other stuff we want to bring up but um so if you guys want to hear anything about daredevil um spoilers from now on um so this is your chance to tune out all right bob what were you gonna ask us okay it, it sounds as if we're dealing with his real comic book origins, mm-hmm. which have been tweaked over the years, mm-hmm. and and how connected Jack Murdoch's death is to various crime elements mm-hmm. in the city, and then why Matt decides to do this. How does this tie together here? Who's the impetus behind? So uh, they, they don't go as far as like the the kingpin kills his dad kind of thing, um, like they did in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, you know, it's the same story, same idea. Jack is a boxer and he loses all the time and he's, um, he's getting paid to lose. And, you know, he just decides one day that he doesn't want, he wants one time for Matt to see him win. Oh my God. And tears. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, you know, beats Crusher Creel and then. That's nice. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then he, you know, he tries to get away and he ends up being taken out. <laughs> um, the mob ends up taking him down. <laughs> uh, and they do a great job with all of that stuff. I have to say like they. Um, it's a, obviously a very key part of Matt's origin and the relationship between him and his father is awesome. And there's, um, you know, there's a line and I'm paraphrasing where he says, you know, uh, Murdoch's like, it's not a, you know, a camera, really, but, but like getting hit and getting back up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just great, you know, and it's, it's, and it says everything about Matt because what's great is that the thing I say about Matt Murdoch is he has kind of this self-destructive altruism, you know, this where he, he wants so badly for things to be better that he just does sometimes the stupidest things in the entire world. And that pervades, it's much like his father just doing that same thing, like wanting to do the right thing and then being killed, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But it's great. And and they kind of do a, they, they, they sparse out the origin throughout the, throughout the the show. So you get kind of pieces of it as you go along. Um, Yeah. Not 48 minutes of it. No, first episode. No, no, you got, you kind of get chunks of it. And uh, um, you know, part of that obviously is uh, Scott Glenn, as stick wow um and he's uh, one episode right yeah yeah just just one one. just one um and you you that's the that's the biggest thing you get to like how he learned how to do what he did um but i mean it's only there's still mystery about that middle time in in his kind of life and what happened but uh that gives you the sense of the broader world of this you know the hand and the cast and you know they don't ever mention those things by name but those are hinted by visual clues and obviously stick directly mm, sure. you know it goes to that stuff and um kind of into the easter eggy part of it uh the end of his episode he he is um talking to a man um with like a crazy like scar thing on his back um who i do not know who he's supposed to be damn that was my um, next question yeah uh but um he's apparently i what i've, what I've heard is that he's this would be a, pr- a pr- rather large character in the mythos um and hmm. some sort of connection to possibly the iron fist um lore uh-huh. uh that's what i've heard at least I, I don't know for sure um again you don't see the face you don't know who it is the thunderer perhaps um, <laughs> i didn't spoil it and so uh so yeah there's that and um uh but he's great in it and and you get a sense that there's a much larger world happening around him uh what did you think of the the stick stuff stephanie um i i thought it was okay i i wasn't my favorite episode uh i liked bits and pieces 
of it. I think I wanted more. Um, I I feel like there's a lot more that they can do with it in mm. the future. Um, but it, I guess it played out fairly. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> it definitely seemed like it was a tie to his past and a hint towards the future. Yeah. But it's the biggest like seed for a season two of anything. Yeah. It's not like, really directly related to um, the Kingpin story, except I mean, they do tie it in because of what's going on at the docks. There's a thing where they have the, I, there's a, but I think it's I not felt like his part in um, the overall story felt a bit forced. Uh, Cause like the stuff with him doesn't really wind up being really explained outside of um, the flashbacks, you know, uh, like the kid, he murders a child and why? I don't understand why that kid was a bad thing. I don't understand why he was chained up. I don't understand why Stick felt like he needed to kill him. And I don't understand why he felt justified in doing it. And that's not something that's ever really explained. Um, you know, like, Matt really doesn't, I mean, he's angry, but it really doesn't seem that pissed off about the fact that, like, his mentor slash, like, father figure just murdered a child. Cool, cool, cool. And they get into, like, a stupid big fight. They do, but, like, at the same time, <laughs> like, I feel like I'd be more torn up about it, like, after the fact, too. Like, more along the lines of um, what you see Matt get into um, after his big fight with uh, Nabu? Nobu? Yeah, Nobu. Um. Like, I expected more of that reaction, kind of, like, getting into a funk and being like, my life is a lie, uh, as opposed to, like, well, I got that all out in one big fight. Cool, cool, cool. Moving on. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I felt like he, you could have maybe hinted at him being in, like, I don't know. He didn't need to be in the present, I think, uh, because that storyline didn't add up. Um, the past stuff obviously helps uh, us figure out what happened to Matt after um, his father dies, but the stuff in the present felt sloppy. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Now, Matt's arc across these 13, you know, the growth factor involved, mm-hmm. you know, in the original books, he was, he took Daredevil as a name because the kids teased him because his father didn't want him playing sports or doing mm. anything. Didn't want him to be what he wanted to be. And so Matt grows up quickly. What happens here? Is it a longer process across the run or Um I mean the the, the kind of the kind of the kind of story of Matt as like modern Matt Murdock mm-hmm. attorney at law is more going from the process of like just going out there and punching and and just you know not really having a plan to kind of realizing kind of the symbol he can become and the change that he can affect and becoming that kind of a a hero you know um and really taking onus and becoming taking that next step um and that's kind of his story throughout throughout the the uh you know the, the 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 show um uh the name of daredevil comes is given to him by like a newspaper yeah it's like one of the final scenes yeah i mean because we're in big spoiler territory you don't see him in the costume to the last episode like the the daredevil i was gonna ask that yeah 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 (laughs) Uh, and it's a fucking great moment (laughs) i gotta tell you (laughs) when he shows up there that that, he has this line and i just i mean people are listening to us i guess they've seen it but when 
he he has a he has a run in with Fisk midway through the season where Fisk just beats the hell out of him and almost kills him. And then and 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 you know Matt says I'm gonna kill you and Fisk says take your shot. That's oh. the so Fisk beats the hell out of him and he you know things have gone to shit for Fisk and you know they, they they've they've incriminated him and and they and everyone knows and the police are chasing him and he's gotten away and Matt shows up in the Daredevil costume uh, and Fisk says it's basically the reverse you know. Fist says, I'm going to kill you. And Matt says, take your shot. Wow. And then he just, it's great. It's a great scene. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I loved that stuff about it. But yeah, that's where he, it comes in the, it comes in the form of that. I mean, we're on that part. I mean, what'd you guys, Steve, what'd you think of the costume? Honestly? Yeah. Um, no, t- tell me a lie. Okay. <laughs> uh, I really, I really, really dug kind of like the Dread Pirate Roberts uh, black mask a lot more than the actual Daredevil suit. I don't quite understand why the guy that makes it made it that way. Like, why he made a, a devil's mask. Well, because he was the, the devil, de- of, Hel- the devil yes. of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. All right. All right. Maybe, maybe, I, all right. maybe I just didn't catch that. I didn't know that he knew that that's what he was. But anyway, um, I don't know. It was, well, at this it was, point in time, there's only one masked vigilante running around Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, if somebody was going to go around doing what he's doing, it makes perfect sense with like the plating and the Kevlar. Um, there were a lot of straps on it. Uh, I like the idea that they that he chose to color it red, not knowing that like Battle and Jack Murdoch's colors were red when he takes out the the gloves and the robe and everything. So I thought that was really cool. Like a um, I don't know if Matt told him to do that. I don't think so. I think I think it ties back to when you're a fighter. Like mm. Matt's dad had the red ropes because the red hides the blood. Oh. So it's the same thing with the costume, right? Like this dude, he might not know a ton about Matt. Obviously, he doesn't even know he's Matt Murdock, but mm-hmm. he knows that he's a vigilante and he's likely to get bloodied up. I mean, yeah. even those two got in a fight. So I think red is like the natural choice, you know, yeah. to kind of like help conceal. You don't want to give away to your enemies that you're bleeding, especially when you're not a superhuman. Right. Um, or, you know, a mutant or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's just kind of like red will make it seem like you're not dying. Yeah. I mean, it was very like very Batman a little yes. bit for me. But um, like patchwork Batman. Yeah. I mean, but I don't, I, as far as the reveal and the buildup and everything like that, that when you, like, he's standing uh, atop, like, a, w- w- that first shot of him, he was on top of something, right? Like a crate of some sort? Like a, like a truck or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So you get that, like, from the bottom up shot where they're they're zooming in on him and he's standing there and he's got, like, the dual sticks in his hands and he's, you know, the little compartment on the side, all of that totally totally worked for me and the payoff of seeing him in the costume also was like fireworks going off that whole scene i i can't remember a a villain versus hero battle that i enjoyed more um out of any of the marvel stuff than that like the the build-up to that was so palpable like when they're the scenes earlier in the series where they meet in the um the art gallery and he has to fake, you know, not knowing who he really is and meet him and shake his hand. You can see him like clenching his fist and wanting just to throw down right then and there. 
ever since that moment up until that final episode, I was just like on the edge of my seat waiting for that scene. And it's raining and they're just like Fisk was like a freight train running at that guy and seeing the damage that he did to him earlier. I just couldn't wait to see that fight. And it was so good. I loved it. So you asked me about the costume. That's my elongated <laughs> ranty answer. I apologize. That's all right. Um, yeah. It's it's good. I really, I, I honestly though, I really, if I had to choose between one or the other, I really, really loved the uh, the black suit um, much more. I just thought it was so cool. I, I definitely liked the black, but when he shows up and he has like the the sticks and he, and he, uh, and he has like the the red and the horns, it just it, mm-hmm. it gave me a little bit of a chill. You know what I want to know? Who supplies him with his like walking sticks that he's just throwing these things away in alleys. Yeah, I was tweeting about that. I was like, how many <laughs> sticks do you think he loses? Right? Like he's like, <laughs> oh, time to go. Seasons. Well, well, fuck you. I got, you know, a whole closet full. Sticks are us. But he just like throws them. Like it's so dramatic. Like what? <laughs> it yeah. It's like him, you know, it's like Spider-Man ripping off his like. Yeah. Shirt. Leave the clothes in the street. Uh, yeah. Exactly. You know, it's really funny. You, I've read a lot of reviews, mm. uh, brief ones mm. talking about how wonderfully, evocative of a dark city this whole ninja look mm-hmm. is and it's mostly positive yeah and many many years ago the first time we saw daredevil on screen was rex smith mm-hmm. in a tv movie the trial of the incredible hulk he looked exactly <laughs> like that and we all crapped a brick back then we just all went insane now, that's not daredevil what are you doing dress like that for the nonsense we you know we we require both more and less now. We mm. under—I think the audience understands more that okay, like, he'll get to that, yeah. and we'll set that up, and it'll be perfect. Yeah, I was, just let us get there yeah. our, at our own pace. Yeah, it's a major plot point in a season, like the the idea of this costume not being right because he, he just like he has nothing protecting him to be stabbed from being bruised yeah. or being anything. So he's you know he's not even wearing like leather; he's wearing just like a like a long sleeve athletic. Like good and jumping t-shirt. off buildings, yeah, Brilliant. and jeans and jumping off buildings, yeah. No one said he was the you know the man with the most brains, He's yeah. The man without <laughs> but he fear. also addresses little, little that, different. like yeah, he does. Rosario really? Dawson's character, Night Nurse, is like, you need to put armor on. He's like, I can't, like, yeah. I, I can't move in that. Yeah, and he finds a way into it. You know, in another way, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, of course, there's like you know, in comic books, it's like a special material that he's yeah. able. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting because how it got brought around wasn't him like stumbling upon. Yeah, um, this it was Fisk mm. who introduced him indirectly to this armor. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was for, for everyone. Was there a standout moment you didn't expect? Something that was a beyond pleasant surprise? Um, I don't know, Stephanie. Do you have one? Uh, I got one. I don't think so. I initially okay. It, it's a bit of a give and take um, because initially I I know I haven't read a lot of Daredevil, but I know that Karen. It's sort of like the love interest of both Foggy and Matt. Mm. Um, but I thought that they were going to kind of go against um, the grain here. And Foggy and her were going to be a thing. Like they went on a couple dates. And um, I was really enjoying their chemistry. And I was like, this is so delightful. They're so cute together. Like this is, this is really nice to see um, the pretty lead girl not go for the main dude. Go for, you know the supporting character mm-hmm. and it's like i really really like this they're so they're they're mm-hmm. they really do have a lot of chemistry and it's charming and then all of a sudden it was a really unnatural shift in the writing um where they were just like la 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 <laughs> foggy and karen sitting in a tree k-i-s-s-i-n-g not 
And then like that chemistry was like all gone and they started pushing her towards Matt and it felt really off because I really saw Karen and Foggy together in this um, particular scenario. Uh, And, you know, Matt has this sort of non-relationship with Claire, um, which I thought they were going to pursue a little bit more, but then she wasn't really in the show at all after like the third or fourth episode, Mm -hmm. um, which was disappointing, but yeah, sorry. My, I, it was like a no, good that's, movie. That's, that's great. No, it's fine. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I um, I didn't feel the jolt like you did, but I definitely was enjoying their chemistry together a lot. But what I do like about the show is that they don't really go down the avenue of a love interest full hog with anybody. Yeah, um, but you kind of with- see her take that turn where she's like stops kind of getting dreamy eyed about Foggy and all of a sudden she's like, oh, are you calling Matt? Oh, <laughs> Matt. Oh, no, but Matt. she but but, but through the whole thing, she kind of has like that little like thing with Matt. Yeah, but I, she's I way more into Foggy, and then there's like this shift. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. But I'm just like, uh, no, I, I get what they're saying. Absolutely, um, Steve. What was your moment that you were thinking? Um, I mean, not moments in particular, but um, growing attached to characters that I didn't expect to grow attached to. I got really fond of Wesley. And his, I mean, we're talking spoilers here, right? Fond of him? Yeah. He was like the worst. Yeah, he I, was dude, like arguably worse than Fisk. I yeah. loved him. <laughs> well, I mean, you can love, you can love like how seedy he is and now like bad he is. Oh, he was so slimy. Like I know. Oh, God. <laughs> but warm to him, care about him is not really the terminology. I was, honestly, I was devastated when, um, I, we are talking spoilers here, right? Yeah, okay. yeah of course. When Karen guns him down, I, I I was I was heartbroken. Would you rather see Karen have bought it? <laughs> no, no. Oh wait a minute, he's yeah. wavering. No, 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 yes. no, no. I, I I really I enjoyed Karen's character. I don't know that I enjoyed her a hundred percent. Um, I felt like between her and Foggy at times, like for for somebody who had had her life threatened as much as she did, almost dying twice at the start of the series. That I enjoy, I really enjoyed like her tenacity for for the truth and wanting to find out. But her and Foggy both were were really like they were pushing some buttons that perhaps should not have been pressed without consulting the rest of the group. Like kind of making moves on things that would radiate out to other people and get them hurt. And she didn't really take that into consideration with some of her actions, and that kind of got on my nerves a little bit. But they all do that. I know, but sh- it was Matt something... is literally going out and punching people in the face and de- and, and kidnapping Russians. <laughs> going to the going to the to, to the um the home and to oh, that to scene visit. is so good. I know it's good, dude. I want to say the scene's not good. I'm just saying, like she just bringing. Oh, well, I guess no, because Matt's doing it too. I don't know. There was something. There was something about her towards the middle that uh, that was kind of irking me a little. Her and Foggy both, not just her. I don't mean to put the on on just on her. Um, but anyway, back to the question at hand. Um, getting attached to characters, little Easter eggs, finding out that we uh, Leland Owsley was a character um, was Bob Gunton's character was a, a huge uh, boon for me. I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, those scenes in which Foggy finds out about Matt. Yeah. And they they argue for like two episodes 
all of those scenes between the two of them were amazing. Like, I really, really felt like Foggy did not let him off easy. You know, like, sometimes in superhero stuff, people find out and they're they're giddy about it or they, they forgive them after, like, you know, a couple of scenes later and they're, you know, oh, I understand, man. He was pissed. And he was questioning everything about their friendship, every little aspect of it. Like, asking him, you know, every time that I've lied to you, you've known about it and you've never said anything. You've never called me out on it. And he's like, no, I just let it pass. He's like, dude, that's fucked up. That's, you don't do that. Even with your senses, you don't do that. And I, I like, I like that he called him out on that stuff. It felt real to me. You know, my friend, if I, if I found out my friend Brendan was pulling some, some shit on me and stuff like that, that shit would go on for a long time. And I felt the, the power of that friendship uh, between the two of them. It was really strong. And I really, really uh, didn't expect the series to delve into that too much, especially given the first couple of episodes with all the fighting and all of the action. Like, I thought maybe they'd go into the heavy action, but they really got the essence of the drama and they got to the core of that friendship. And I really, really, that took me by surprise. And I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, yeah, um, the, the moment for me was that moment where Karen kills Wesley. Yeah, because I did oh, not expect yeah. that scene to go that way. I thought Karen <laughs> was going to die. Like I was like, "That's it. Like this is what that's how they're. It's going to be different than the comics, but it's going to be the same result, which is Karen's going to take is going to bite it." And when she just shot him, I was like, "Whoa!" I like I like I I did not expect it at all, and I loved how they turned that scene on its head for me. I um, I totally thought he was going to be alive somehow too. <laughs> and they were all going to be like the war on, uh, uh, you know, Foggy and uh, Matt was going to kick off that way. But oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but the burden is all hers to bear. Yeah. And I love that. I love the way that she deals with it. Like you said, Seven, there's consequences to what, what she does. Um, and she doesn't feel good about it just because Wesley was a horrible person, you know? Uh, and I liked that about what happens there. Yeah, and just because he was a horrible person doesn't make it any less horrible to take a life. Exactly. Um, and I, I gotta say, I was really impressed. I didn't expect them to do it this way. The way that they painted out this love story between uh, Fisk and, that, and Vanessa did not expect that to be how you learned about Fisk, how you really saw him doing most of the time. I was really blown away how they gave him that other side mm -hmm. of, of his character. Loved that. And I love that the journey takes him from, I'm just a guy trying to protect this city, doing it my way to the end. He totally embraces that he's the bad guy, you know? And, and I, I thought that was a cool journey. A friend, but, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Seven, no, go ahead, Stephanie. Go ahead. A friend of mine had uh, like about, Halfway through the show, um, he had uh, come up with a theory that Vanessa was just a figment of Fisk's imagination. And I was like, that'd be, I mean, like I had seen a little bit further than him, so I knew that wasn't possible. But I was like, that would have been a cool way to kind of turn this around to kind of show his humanity, like he's losing mm -hmm. it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I did actually like that, you know, that wasn't the case. And he does have this very human side. And by the end, you actually almost feel sorry for Fisk. Uh, yeah, a little, a little bit, yeah. Like you, it, you, you do a great job of that. It's really weird because you are rooting for him and Vanessa. Mm -hmm. Like, you get her, girl. Like, you go. <laughs> uh, and, you know, when she's poisoned and all that stuff, I was like, oh, who did this? Oh, what? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, why? No, no stuff, bad. 
bad yeah, guys. Exactly. Bad guys. Not good. Uh, exactly. But yeah. I, a show that can make you empathize with the villains um, is a good one. And I mean, you know, Fisk, that's a really great thing to do in this show in particular because Fisk thinks he's the hero. Yes. Yeah. Best villain. He's do. the hero of his own story. Yeah. In a, yeah. Um, until, you know, the end when he realizes he's not, but like, you know, he, he really and truly believes that like he's, he believes he's Ollie. Like, yeah, and he's exactly. trying to save his city in the most, yeah. like he's Ollie season one. Yeah. <laughs> um, trying to kind of, you know, you failed this city. I'm going to blow you up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you, like in a lot of ways, because of, the shows that have come before it, I, I, I really felt for him. Um, obviously, he's going about it in a very awful way, but in his own weird way, he is trying to save the city and fix um, what has been done. Absolutely. All right, I think that we're going to cap the conversation yes. there. Uh, um, but just quickly, the, I, I was looking up a list of kind of the Easter eggs if people are wondering. Um, the biggest ones, well, there's there's a conversation in the, in the Foggy Matt flashback episode where Foggy asked Matt about the Greek girl that he was dating for a little oh. while, which is obviously Electra. Um, there's, a, there's a sniper who takes out some people, and he has a deck of cards in his bag. So people mm. are, are hinting that possibly that could be Bullseye, and we just don't know it. Um, one of the biggest ones is uh, where is it right here? Here we go. Uh, there's a, one of the villains with a crime boss is named Madame Gao, um, and she peddles heroin that's called the Steel Serpent, which is one of Iron Fist's biggest villains. Yeah. Um, and when uh, asked about being from China, she says, "I'm of a considerable distance from China. I come from a place." Yeah. So Kunlun is obviously what they're, yep. they're referencing there. Um, those are some of the biggest ones uh, that are in the show. Um, but yeah, that's going to end our conversation on Daredevil. Um, overall, very positive from us. Make sure you guys check it out if you have, have the chance um, and let us know what you think. Um, we're going to skip new releases for this week and go right to ending the show because <laughs> we are running very long. <laughs> um, so if you guys want to in touch with us, it's a podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, um, at talkingcomics on Twitter, um, and facebook.com slash talkingcomics. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Stephanie. I'm at Hello Cookie. Steve. Mine is at Dead underscore Icarus. And Bob, what about and the Mine is Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com on the old email. And while I threw the email out there, let me yeah. jump in here now. Okay. It is this Saturday, April 18th, oh. over at our local Costco here in Holbrook, where Peter David will be signing copies of The Avengers Vault. Nice. So if anyone's looking for me to try to sneak them in between 1 and 3 o'clock, send me an email <laughs> and we'll see if we can't manage something. All right. And Stephanie. Uh, I just want to quickly say I probably I don't think I'm on the show next week uh, due to uh, some travel obligations, but next weekend I will be at C2E2 for anyone who will be in Chicago and I have two panels I believe that I'm on. I will be on a comicsology panel about what you should be reading and I will be on a panel um that coincides with my friend Sam Meggs's new book launch uh Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy will be talking about um, the internet and being on it. Uh, but my schedule is on my website if you are interested, along with where I will be sitting if you want to come by and say hi. 
All right. Awesome. Um, and if you guys come to talkingcombooks.com, you can get all of our reviews, articles, and our bevy of podcasts, The Misfits with Stephanie Cook, Melissa Megan, and Mara Wood. Um, we've got Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa, Chris Oliphant, and Nick Scalia. We've got Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw. We've got Talking Games with Steve Say, Justin Townsend, Rob Newmeyer, and Jackie Turner. And our special edition feed, which features comics and coffee and backup stories. Um, so make sure you guys check those out and check out the Patreon. Our uh, podcast for March just went up. So check that one out, guys. Um, Patreon.com slash Talking Comics and support us if you guys get the chance. But that's going to do it for Talking Comics for this week. Such for a short show. S- yeah, such a really short show. <laughs> uh, uh, for Steve. Sorry for being so scatterbrained tonight. Uh, Bob. No, you weren't. And Stephanie. (laughs) Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. 